mutation, it is the key to our evolution. It has enabled us to evolve from a single-celled organism into the dominant species on the planet. This process is slow, normally taking thousands and thousands of years. But every few hundred millennia, evolution leaps forward. Welcome to Third Degree Burn. Welcome to a new show. Hey, we're going to cover X-Men Elseworn uh, issues 23 and 24. And we're really excited to get back to the Elseworn. Some really cool stuff has been happening. And I am John Hyatt, one of your fun hosts today. And we have with us Brian Hughes. Hi. Hi Brian. How's it going? Tim Elliott. Hello. And Kirk Greenfield. Hey, Kirk. Good morning. Did you have trouble remembering his name? <laughs> okay. Well, I had, I had two names to remember, and yeah, so I was oh, like, yeah, which one am I going to pick? <laughs> yeah, is it Gronfeld or Greenfield? Or, or... Yeah, it's we, Greenfield. We go with Greenfield for public consumption. <laughs> okay. That so works. welcome to the show. We are so glad to be back. We've had a little bit of a hiatus uh, through the busy, busy month of March. I don't think they uh, really, really re realize that because we've been putting out material. I mean, we did the George Paris show just, you know, with the, the yeah, Justice okay. League just, you know, real recently. And then Tim put out his wonderfully put together, uh, uh, what do you call that, a read-along or dramatic reading? I call it, I just call it story time. And, I, you know, it's uh, it's my attempt to kind of do a power book mm -hmm. that's my inspiration huh? for it we can that's cut all that out then <laughs> <laughs> brian what's new what's well, news what's what's what's, what's news um well yeah of course you know along with uh, our love and uh, a, a show dedicated to work to john Byrne. lately we've been covering a little bit on george perez uh, seeing as how he is uh you know terminal cancer and um not expected to be with us for much longer, unfortunately. Uh, in that vein, um, I don't even know who was it put this out. It, I mean, it's a you know the collaboration. It's the JLA Avengers um, trade paperback that was put out for George, and I believe the proceeds of it are going to a charity of his designation. It's the Heroes Initiative. They're the ones that yeah. commissioned it. And I think all any royalties that he would have received, he has donated back to Heroes Initiative. Right, and they only, what I understand. They, they only printed what six or seven thousand of these. Is that correct? Seven thousand. Seven thousand, and uh, so they're they're pretty hard to get, and yet um, they're already being scalped on Etsy and eBay. Yeah, and David Thompson, the great great uh, podcaster, David Thompson. Um, <laughs> got uh, an issue of it for me and for uh, John here, uh, because we threw our names in the hat as soon as we heard about this. And uh, I just got to say, it is gorgeous, and I'm afraid I will never, ever break the seal on this one. I just <laughs> I just don't. It's got... I, I mean, the thing is, I've got the originals, the Prestige Formats one, and this is... It just looks so gorgeous, and that front cover is beautiful. 
Now, are all the front covers the same? I have to assume they're all the same. I think they are. Where it's it's just all of them with you know Superman and Captain America next to each other and Giant Man up at the top and uh, wow. Now is that the 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 Clint Barton Giant Man? No. So that's Hank. I, no, I think Hawkeye's in the issue, so I think it's. Oh yeah, because oh, Haw- Hawkeye's right there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's so, such a cross pollination. The story goes through all the virtually every character that's ever been a part of both teams. And so, uh, well, I guess not every character, but yeah, I mean, it's still got a lot. And I know that the Clint Barton Hawkeye showed up at one point, or Clint Barton Giant Man, that is. Are these uh, omnibus size? No, it's it's a trade paperback size. It's, okay. It, I mean, it just looks like a, a straight trade paperback. The back cover is that uh, is basically pulled from the poster that's got every character that he includes, and I even see the. Big, uh, Big Bertha from the Great Lakes Avengers and Lobo. <laughs> Jocasta. Oh my gosh. I mean, any any character, you know, no matter how obscure, oh gosh, there's Justice League Detroit. Oh, I'm so sad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, I've been hitting a lot of shops and little mini-cons and everything recently. They've had a, they had a mini-con in a movie theater over here not too long ago, and so there were um, a, a couple of the artists out there, David Sanchez and uh, Steve Irwin, who uh, I've talked to many, many times over the year, and Kerry Gamble was also out there, but I didn't get really a chance to talk to him. Um, but uh, it's, it's been nice to get out and, and do that stuff, and my son really seems to be enjoying the con environment. He thrives in that, you know, the, out there, uh, and, and just seems to be really enjoying it. So, uh, and he's really engaging, uh, with everybody that, uh, he, he talks to, you know, he loves talking about, um, all the various, uh, versions of the Batman and the Joker. And of course with the movie out, he's, uh, really, uh, big into that. Have, have you all seen the Batman yet? I have. You have? No. I enjoyed it. I'll say that I enjoyed it an awful lot. Um, I thought there was one thing they threw in that they didn't have to, and a recent uh, a deleted scene was actually placed up on the internet this week that I was like, I wish they hadn't done it, but I understand why they did it. Um, but uh, that being said, the movie was really really enjoyable. It's not doing what I would call Spider-Man No Way Home money, uh, but uh, it is doing well still. As I think. Um, I think I think its running length is probably hurting it because it, it is. A, I will say it's a little too long. Well, No Way Home is also pretty long too. I mean, it's just what a few minutes short of Endgame, and yet it's still you know hitting hitting you know not Endgame money yet, but it's hitting pretty. Would good. it be a spoiler to discuss who the villain of this movie is? It's Michael Bolton from Office Space. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think it's a it's a secret who the villain is. Oh, I, is I only mentioned it because last night, by coincidence, MeTV, maybe it's not coincidence, but at MeTV at 10.30 last night, aired the very first Batman 1966 episode featuring the Riddler with Frank Dorshin. I have not seen that in 55 years. Wow. And let me tell you, I remember some of the character beats and some of the development, and it's like, it's a little uneven based upon what we remember of the series as it, as it develops into, but recognizing that they're introing the, the, the status quo for the first time, uh, they, ha- they have to define for you who is Robin, who is Commissioner Gordon, who is you know this arch-emesis uh, uh, Riddler. 
anyways, it was an interesting, um, interesting experience to see it again. And I think part two concludes next Saturday evening at 1030 as well. I don't know if they're going to go through the whole series, but I have kind of a sense that they had a half hour that they needed to fill. And so it's a pretty late hour for them to put that on. Hmm. It's pretty, uh, you can pick that Blu-ray set up pretty cheap now. Oh, yeah? When it first came out, it was about 150 but I think you picked the whole thing up now for about $40, oh, all three seasons. They're all two seasons. Yeah, but it's... I think uh, it's an acquired pick. Isn't it like 65 episodes a season because they, they ran they two split them up. Week. Yeah, they ran two a week. Right, I mean, it, it was like was Wednesday, pretty- Thursday... Or Tuesday, Wednesday, I can't remember which. But yeah, because that's why they always had those the, the crazy cliffhangers. cliffhangers. <laughs> yep. And believe me, the first one has a crazy cliffhanger. <laughs> are, you, are you not a fan, Kirk? Doesn't sound like a... Uh, you know, as a kid, we were fascinated by it, and you always ran around. Kids were squealing out in their tennis shoes on gravel in the, in the uh, playground, imitating the Batmobile squealing around the corners. And, you know, we were all kind of wowed by it at first, but I don't remember watching more than a handful of episodes because I think either the second evening I had a conflict and with, you know, Boy Scouts or something, but it, you know, it was my folks tired of it real quick. They recognized this is camp. This is very tongue in cheek. And I didn't know what that was when I was at that age, but I figured it out by watching the series and going, this is not a serious treatment of of Batman, yeah, but it kicked off, you know, an explosion of superheroes in popular culture and a revitalization and expansion. I would say of Marvel comics. So there were good things that came of it, but it also forever put the superheroes into a genre. Bam, Biff, and uh, over the top, you know, holy catfish. You know, we'll never overcome that stigma now you know that's that's funny you mentioned that because i would noticed within like the the last five six years maybe even longer that uh the internet pretty much derides anybody that starts off their stories with the bam biff pow it's it's like uh, all of a sudden it's like if someone sits there you know you know for everybody comic books was always the world of bam biff pow you know that they did that for so long and now it's derided it it's you know looked down upon anybody that does that is still thinking in the past or not realizing how things actually are today. yeah yes and i would agree with that it's a it's a touch zone it's a trope and and one that we should be rid of by now but well with the the batman topic (laughs) no no no, that's a good topic but yeah i I mean batman's go ahead go ahead brian no no you're, you're still talking batman Go ahead. Well, I was, yeah, just just point that that it seems to be he's in two categories. You know, he is what was the '60s that, and I don't I don't know what Silver Age DC was like, but I, I think, and I don't think it was based on that show, but Silver Age DC was pretty silly in its own right. And then he came out of that, and then Frank Miller, uh, you know, basically reinvents him with the Dark Knight, and then it becomes that. That's okay. Everything from the past is gone. We're starting with Dark Knight. That's going to be our template moving forward. So it's right. either it's either dark and gritty Dark Knight or it's goofy, silly Adam West. And that seems to be two the two camps that Batman is in. Yep, I would agree with that. Although there was a pivot 
when this show came out in terms of the silliness of the uh, world's finest Superman, Batman, Robin team-ups, pre-this pre show, they were very silly. They were very contrived. Once this show came out, it, it's not quite the same, but uh, the new look of Batman with the yellow symbol, the yellow background on his chest symbol, it, they don't quite line up, but that, you know, the, this TV show... How do I want to put this? It it shifted it from the silly aliens and red kryptonite, you know, era into who's the bizarre villain of the week. And the Riddler, based on this first episode, suddenly became, instead of a C-lister, he became an A-lister. Um, he had existed before, but nobody really dealt with him. But Frank Gorshin's over-the-top performance made him front and center, and he was featured, I would say, quite prominently, if not regularly, in the in the comics of the time. But enough of my old memories. Let's uh, let's get back to our topic of the day. I it think starts some new memories. Yeah. Well, it, it's funny, because one of the other things I was going to mention is one of the things I picked up in my travels over the last few weeks was uh, Superman 78, Issue 1. And that's uh, Robert Vendetti, Wilfredo Torres... And Jordi Belair. I have yet to break the seal on this one. I haven't had a chance to read any of this, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. Have any of y'all read that? I haven't, but I've heard good things. But aren't they also doing Wonder Woman 75 or 76? That I wouldn't be surprised because this this kind of it would be it would be interesting to see if they would get the three together, or if they're planning on doing that. The Batman 66 and these in Wonder Woman and Superman of the 70s. So are these stories that are positioned as if they occurred back in those years? Or the vision of the character that was dominant back in those years? Well, it, it continues the, the seasons as if they kept going on. So yeah, it's it's the it's in this format of the movie or the TV series, either Bat the oh. Batman, they just kind of keep it going. It, they're drawn to resemble the actors who portrayed them. Okay, I got kinda, it keeps the stories going as so it's almost like star trek the animated series which is the fourth season of star trek the original yeah. you know just kind of keeps them going i, I did something very similar yeah it's either idw or dynamite with uh, the bionic six uh, million dollar man they did a season six bionic woman they did a season four like buffy they did a season eight ten eight or nine eight, or whatever something. yeah whatever it was isn't buffy still going I think it may be. They did it with X-Files. They did another season before they actually came back and did more seasons. But, um, and then another thing that I picked up, uh, just changing, moving us off there a little bit, was the Hercules Prince of Power graphic novel by Bob Lee, Full Circle. And I got that for just 10 bucks, so I was happy getting that. It's nice. I've got that, I think. I picked that up in a I know I've probably seen it, but I wasn't really aware of it. I was aware of the two four-issue limited series that Bob Layton had done. I've got those, I believe. But I was not aware, not really, I mean, I just, for some reason, just glossed over it. Never really piqued my interest. And I saw it, and I'm like, oh, man, why did I I love me some Bob Layton. And then the last thing, I mean, I picked up a couple things. There's a new series, Captain Carter, based off of the What If character from the, the animated What If series. And uh, every time I happen to run by 
the John Byrne Tom Palmer Silver Surfer number one. I'm, I'm kind of like, um, you know, those guys that buy Catcher in the Rye every time they see it. I have to buy it. So I got that. So I, I got some John Byrne in there. Whew. All right. So um, that's kind of, you know, just trying to see what's been going on. Have you all been watching anything really interesting on TV lately? There's so much that's happening. Um, of course, we're in part of the latest season of The Flash, which has been renewed for another season. But it seems what? to have... Yeah, Flash has been renewed. I thought for, this was the last season. So did I. Now, that doesn't guarantee they're going to make it. You know, Berlanti may just decide, no, nah, no, nah, that's enough. I'm, I'm going with, with Superman and Lois, which has really been um, a lot of fun and interesting uh, to see where that's going. They actually pulled a, a nice uh, fake out with uh, the Bizarro storyline because it looked like they were doing Doomsday. And uh, they faked, they faked the, the viewers out on that one. So that was, uh, that was cool. Good payoff there. Um, trying to think what else. So I mean, I, I, I finished the fourth season, a very disappointing fourth season, Discovery, and I'm halfway through a very disappointing uh, season of Picard. Hmm. I thought Picard. I've only been through the second episode. The second episode I thought was actually rather interesting. Um, though I'm I'm kind of iffy on that Borg Queen that they got. I'm not sure if that that's not Alice Krieg. No. And she kind of loses some of the charisma that Alice Krieg had. I mean, you know, she was white-skinned. She looked like a goth princess back in the day. But there was something still, I don't want to say sexy. I'm not sure what alluring about her. You know, there was something yeah. interesting. And maybe it's just her voice, the way she talks and all that. But And she was always sweaty. But... <laughs> I don't know. This well, this new board queen seemed more green and reptilian to me, you know. Um, I'm, I'm kind of I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying the series. I like this. I think this is a. I think she's a good board queen. Um, so, I mean, I yeah, she's not Alice Creek, um, but you know, I think she's doing a good job as a board queen. So, somebody's posting excerpts or three to four minute clips from that show on YouTube. And so I've been seeing those. So I have a sense of what's going on, although I haven't watched any of the episodes. Um, but uh, apparently Q has slapped the card. Uh, they made a big deal out of that. Um, I, I get the sense of what's happening, but I'm not sure that I'm up to speed on the, the whole series. Well, but, I mean, uh, basically they, they said, you know, we've been spending a lot of money on special effects. So we let's let's save some. Let's uh, send them back to the past, and so now they're in the year 2024. So they don't have to dress the sets very much, right? And apparently right. that but, was Stewart's request. He wanted to film in and around LA. Yeah, that that was the weird part when he said, yeah, "We're we're going home," or I, I, I'm I'm taking you to my home, and so I'm going. What they're going to France, and they crash down in LA. So I thought that was. Uh, but did you? This is not a spoiler. But did you catch that? Oh, episode three or four? Hey, uh, when, when they're they're talking about the Chateau Picard. I, I don't think I'm that far into it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, he he kind of explained. It's, it's it's an explanation, a little throwaway line as to why he has a British accent, even though he's French. Oh, interesting. I, I mean, yeah. it, there's a lot of throwaway lines in these shows that are going back to, like, really, really old episodes of Next Generation, and uh, they even brought up Kirk and Star Trek IV, but that wasn't the only time that they did time travel, was it? 
Uh, right. Yeah. Have you uh, naked time. have you seen the bus up the uh, bus scene yet with the guy with the ghetto blaster? Uh, no. Probably not. That's the most recent one. No, yeah. I have not right. seen there yet. So you just spoiled it's it. It's an for Easter me. egg. I won't spoil it for you, but it's you an did. Easter egg. You did. I mean, you, you just tell me the guy and the bus is a ghetto blaster. That's enough to. I know they're doing a throwback no. to Star Trek Four. There's well, there's lots this of way. throwbacks this to Star Trek. Way. Yeah, I know, I know. We'll see. You know. All right, so uh, X Men Elsewhere uh, is it twenty three and twenty four we're, we're talking about today? Twenty three, twenty four. And um, now, do you have kind of? A, I mean, did and I'm sorry, I bring this bring this up now. I should have brought it up before we talked uh, before we started recording. But do you have kind of a bring us up to speed where we are right now? I will try. I have yeah. my synopsis, but it's because we keep doing these. And this is, you know, this is the book we've covered the most, and we've only book we've covered it sequentially. Mm-hmm. So we've covered it from issue one up to issue now. Uh, and this, these two issues kind of do a lot of housekeeping to deal with so many of the previous plot lines. Uh, in a nutshell, up till then, uh, well, the yeah, evil Magneto from another universe has crossed over into ours with his version of evil X-Men. We call them all X-Men. I call them mirror X-Men. And they apparently devastated their world, killed all the heroes, most of them, jumped to ours, were trying to do the same thing. You know, shenanigans ensue. There is lots of punchy-punchy uh, run-run. There is fighting. Uh, and then at one point, the X-Mansion is basically gutted by Pablo as he you know, with his vaguely undefined powers, rips up all the metal and plastic and glass and everything, kind of as a tower of carnage, it goes up and tornado. It was like, was it a tornado? It felt like a tornado or a heavy storm. Yeah. Yeah. It just kind of erupted. And in the process, one of the magnetos escapes. We saw that last issue and we tried to catch him, but I think angel tried to catch him. And the other, the other, uh, one of the the evil Scott was killed by one of the Magnetos. Some of the other evil X-Men are injured and captured for the most part. And then the Shiaris showed up, and that's kind of where this is picking up, where the X-Men have been, are trying to get to, oh, Kitty and one of the other uh, Imperial Guard has, Astra, Astra has been, yeah. has been formed, uh, merged. Because they both have similar powers, and they got so they've been trying to separate them over the last couple issues, and now they're having they've managed to physically se- separate them. Now they're having some problems with their separating their minds. So we're going to pick that plot up. Uh, we're going to pick up the plot of where the evil X Men are. We're going to pick up some of the plot of what one of the Magnetos is doing. Um, is that am I? I'm sure I'm forgetting something. One of the Magnetos uh, is dead. Has well, we find impaired. that out. We find that out in this, yeah, we find that out in this one. Well, in the flashback, right. One of the Magnetos, and we don't know which. And and just to, to give everybody a reminder, the reason why the Alt-X-Men ran to this universe the way they, as quickly as they did, was that they were being chased down by their universe's Thor, who was on a, uh, right. a vendetta to get them after he... Right, after they, they were at Asteroid the M. Yeah. Right, he was using Nightcrawler as hooked up to some device... That allowed oh, them to hop, hop dimensions or hop universes. Um, and 
we should point out that on that world, uh, Xavier was not just uh, crippled by Eric Dredd. He actually died. So he never formed the X-Men. So that Magneto broke into the X-Mansion, got his files, looked at all the the mutants that he had collected. He went around and collected them up. And uh, we find that, that he had implanted uh, a chip in their brain. that He could kind of control them. So they were all evil versions. You know, there's evil beast. There was evil um, angel. Was there an evil Iceman? I don't think so. There was angel. Yeah, there, Jean. Was, there was evil yeah, Iceman. Yeah. Was there? Yeah. Scarlet Witch, Quicksilver. Uh, there was an evil. Sto- there weren't evil. It was all evil versions of kind of the original X Men, not yeah. any of the new X Men. Right. And then Toad and Mastermind had gotten killed during their battles before they they left there. Right. When they were on Asteroid M or whatever. They, well, they, that, that was off screen. I mean, yeah. they, they just talked about it, but uh, yeah. Yeah. And Nightcrawler dies in the process of jumping them from one universe to the other, but then he then we meet the other Nightcrawler, our Nightcrawler who has recovered from his uh, the hospital and now has made it to the X-Mansion. And I think that's, that's it. That's a good uh, recap. Join us next week. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a little convoluted. It can be. But this this these two issues kind of try to put all, all the pieces back in place so that we can move forward with... He's got a few new threads forming here that we'll see that are going to progress into the upcoming issues so yeah, it's kind of overlapping and just in case you're a, a new listener because we, we actually do seem to have a lot of uh, uh, new listeners as we've uh, expanded our net a little bit in Facebook and other areas uh, and if you've been living under a rock for the last couple of years this is based on John Burns X-Men Elswin fan fiction that he's publishing on his own website uh, we've been covering it uh, issue by issue uh, since it's been out. You know, this is what they're up to th- issue thirty-two right now, or thirty-three, and, something like that. Yeah. And of course, we're, we're covering issues what twenty-three and twenty-four today, so we're hitting that two-year mark uh, that he that he made it to a year ago. So he's been doing it for three years now, and um, it's it, it's been you know, of course, Burn penciling these full tight pencils of every issue he's doing it with the intention of it not being inked and so uh if you haven't read this you need to go out to burn's website burnrobotics.com and go to the fan fiction section you don't have to join his website in order to be able to read this you just have to join it if you want to comment and that's a whole different other thing there you can also pick him up on burn victims correct don't they download them and put them Nope. No, nope, not anymore. They, don't do that anymore. They, they will okay. they link to the Burn Robotics. Yeah. So okay. Uh, John Byrne had made a comment uh, a while back about you know his displeasure at that because really, I mean, while this is not illegal, what he's doing since it is considered fan fiction, any kind of distribution of it uh, is is forbidden based on the rules of the website. So, I mean, you know, you legally you should just be getting it here, going to the page and looking at it. Now, that doesn't stop people out there from, you know, pulling each page as a picture and turning it into a little CBR, because that's very, very easy to do. And if I think if you look on the file section of his web, of, of the Burn Victims Facebook group, you'll see that virtually every issue has been collected there. And now, of course, out on uh, eBay, there are people that are collecting all of them, printing them, and selling them as trade paperbacks. And that is extremely illegal because it is a true copyright violation. 
Uh, a lot of people are, are going to eBay and reporting these, but they're not pulling them down anymore. They were pulling them down at first, but they've stopped because they're just getting... I think they're just getting too too many people uh, putting them out there for them to, to police. Well, I, I know they were having them kind of self-published, but that thought somebody put the stop to that because well, I don't know how they're getting them published. I mean, the thing is, is that you can do it yourself. You can go and get it, you know, bound up in a trade paperback if you know where to go to. And if you're just doing one for yourself, that's fine. I mean, someone actually sent John Byrne several bound volumes of it. So he's got his own trade paperbacks of his stories. But, I mean, if you're doing it with the intention of selling it, that's different matter entirely. It's different, yeah. yeah. But Byrne is not going to be able to... He's got no ground legally to do anything about it. Marvel and Disney, on the other hand... If they find that people are doing that, they might, you know, bring out their big legal fly swatter. But I, I don't yeah, see that's they, happening. They have deep pockets, too. They do. All they need to do is make a good example of one person. Well, it's a it's a it's a weird situation that yeah. he can't he can't legally publish it himself. And yet people that are are taking it and coloring it and binding it can't legally do that either. So yeah. there's a lot of illegal stuff going on. And, and still for those that are just learning about it, you know, this, it, the, the story itself from issue one takes place shortly after the events of Phoenix, the untold story, which is the alternate ending to the dark Phoenix saga. And Byrne is just picking up from there. These are old friends to him and he's just wanting to show what goes on with them after all that. It is completely different from the events of the Marvel Universe back at that time, and uh, it's just a continuation, and it's a continuation today as though it were today. So uh, with that being said, there, Tim, uh, take her away. All right. Well, we will continue today with X-Men Elseman number 23, titled Vanishing Points. Uh, this is, as, as always, writer-artist cover artist, editor, it's John Byrne all the way. He is uh, top to bottom, the only creator on this. Flashback. A few minutes before the close of last issue, Mirror Beast is pulling himself from the rubble of the X-Mansion. He comes across Magneto impaled, but which one is it? See last issue. The Beast is suddenly beamed away. Cut to the orbiting Shi'ar spacecraft. Gladiator has transported all the Mirror X-Men counterparts on board. They object, but he politely tells them to shut it. <laughs> Cut to MedLab, as Jean Grey has shown Kitty Pride and Astra, who were just recently separated, issue 22. Their bodies are separate, but their minds are still entwined. Jean is asked to help Oracle pull the two women's minds apart. Cut to Earth Orbit. <clears throat> Colossus, Cyclops, Storm, Angel, Nightcrawler, Iceman, Joff, and Professor X are heading towards a massive Shi'ar battleship. Xavier contacts Jean telepathically and asks her to come aboard. After brief, after a brief misunderstanding, Jean asks Xavier to help with Kitty and Astra. The mutant telepath enters Kitty's mind and finds a strange alien world. He meets Kitty, but the mind of Astra erupts through the ground. Cut to Earth. Magneto pats himself on the back for eluding his captors, but he feels his atoms assaulted by the alien environment. This is not his world. He grows weak and feels himself slipping away. Cut back to orbit. Cyclops has shown the captured Mirror X-Men. All are in stasis pods. So scientists warns the Mirror counterparts may be a threat to this universe. Back on Earth in the sub-basement of the X-Mansion. Wolverine is worried his friends will not return. Pablo reaches out and slips 
Logan's skeleton back into his skin like putting on a pair of gloves. His healing factor will handle the rest. Cut to the Great White North. Calgary. Dr. T. Youngman, a.k.a. Shaman, is discussing a patient with his colleague when he feels disturbance with Logan. He excuses himself and contacts James Hudson, a.k.a. Guardian. Come back to the mind of mostly Kitty Pride. Astra's astral form is on a rampage. Xavier and Kitty are joined by Oracle and Jean. Jean grows in size to match Astra's form. The two women clash, and Xavier and Kitty try not to get trampled. They reach out to the surrounding minds, and he tries to stop the fight. In the real world, the energy levels continue to continue to grow, and the intrinsic balance between the two universes rises. Breach alert. Implosion imminent. Separation is complete. Xavier pulls Kitty from the table as the ship is rocked with energy waves. They must evacuate. The X-Men board their sentinel ship and leave the hangar bay. They try to head back to Earth, but the controls are frozen. The Shi'ar ship starts to glow. Cut to Muir Island in Scotland. The X-Men's Blackbird lands, and Banshee, Alex, and Polaris are greeted by Maura McTaggart. As the two couples embrace, they witness an explosion in space. To be continued. Whoa, that last image. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Well, thoughts? Opinions? He teases us with uh, a reveal, but he doesn't really answer questions. Uh, For example, the beast examining the corpse of uh, Magneto says, wait, this isn't, and immediately gets transported away before he finishes his thought. So, you know, it's open to some interpretation, but I guess it's pretty clear what's happening. Yeah, he's saying this isn't my Magneto. So this is the younger, the younger Magneto of the current X Men universe, and not the alt Magneto. Not alt Magneto. Yeah, and I, I think that's pretty clear when you see Magneto, and you see it looks like he's kind of phasing or fading away or something. Yeah, because he's not, uh, you know, his atoms are not syncing with our atoms. I tell you, these first couple pages really. I mean, there's, there's so much in this issue that screams Neil Adams. But uh, I like how the beast, you can tell that his shoulders are still dislocated as he's trying to find his way through the wreckage and everything. I mean, he actually looks like he is in great physical pain every step he takes. (laughs) That's a great panel there on that page. Um, Yeah, and you can even just see, even his arms just look like they're hanging there useless. Yeah. Is that an anchor? Or gauntlet or something. He's got claws. They're, they're like Wolverine's claws, actually, but they're on those wrist gauntlets. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, the next page. I mean, this looks like something right, you know, from the the Neil Adams Tom Palmer days with the the battles with the Sentinels. Is is what it's like with everything that's going on there. I know this is taking them up to the Shire ship, but uh, that's what it makes me think of. And I don't think yep. his Iceman has ever looked better than he does in that one panel there at the top right. That is really cool. And then, of course, dead Cyclops down there at the bottom. That's, uh, yeah, mouth open. He done. Yeah, yeah. His head was crushed in the last by issue Magneto. by Magneto. Yeah. yeah. And this is a lot of it. Bernie's been doing this. We've talked about this the whole time he's been doing this. He does a lot of jumping back and forth. He will... He will start like, oh, this is an hour ago, and he'll catch you up. So he's jumped. And you could tell by the way I was reading, it was cutting here, cutting there. So he jumps back and forth amongst all these groups. He does plays a little bit with time. Uh, but it's, it's to me, this whole 
is it's this issue does two things. It it helps separate Astra and Kitty. Yeah. And it basically puts away the other X Men. Okay, I've took them out. I played with them. I'm done with them. I'm gonna put them back. I, well, I still we'll find out he puts them back. Don't understand why the Imperial Guard at any point would think that this Jean Grey has any knowledge of Kitty. Why would they wouldn't just go for Charles? I mean, right. for the sake of the story, you know, it happens, and that's you know, that's what it is. It seems almost like it's so that, and that's kind of a running joke that Jean is constantly telling people that wasn't me. You know, I wasn't involved in that. That was a that was a, a clone of me or whatever. Yeah. So we get that recurring theme over and over that you know I'm not I'm not the gene you're talking about. And this one page, it looks like Tom Palmer had a lot of influence on, on what Byrne did there, especially in that uh, panel where Gene and uh, Gene sitting there looking at Kitty, the bottom left panel. Tim, uh, should we should we just put a line in there somewhere that says this isn't the gene you're looking for? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I kept thinking of if you've ever seen the Mel Gibson movie uh, Payback, where he's trying to get his money back and these guys have stolen from him, and they always they are constantly thinking they owe him one hundred and forty thousand. He's like, no, it's only seventy thousand, and that's the current thing. So mm-hmm. he's. Um, or, kid. or she should have a T-shirt that says, "I'm not your gene." <laughs> now the uh, the vanishing point. Sp- I, I don't want to call it a splash page because it's actually two images. Though that very first image where they're in the, the Sentinel shuttle in space and it's all those characters, it almost looks like a George Perez kind of uh, image. It is a uh, Just, it is, it is a shame that if, if Byrne has really said these are really not meant... I mean, they are tight pencils. Yeah. If they are not meant to be inked. Uh, inked, it's a shame because he has really put in... one. You know, the last couple of issues, he's just had his fill of Argo Bargo. So he's yeah. drawn so much rubble. And with this, he's just drawn, not only has he drawn multiple characters, but he has drawn some really intricate, uh, when they're in orbit, we get what looks like some Kirby crackle behind the ship. Um, that's a right below it, the ship, when they're approaching the Shi'ar ship, yeah. and Scott's looking back at us, that's a a nice, really dark rendition of Nightcrawler uh, and the ship yeah. itself out there. Just this is really, I mean, it's it's what well, it kind of lacks on story and moving stuff along. It more than makes up this, with this, the amount of detail. This page oh. kind of points out one of my frustrations with the the all, Brian, all the external stuff. What what John? Before you move on, sorry, yeah. pin that thought um, because I wanted to catch this before we got too far away from it. Now you said. Burn doesn't intend this to be inked, but I I thought that was one of his things that he did say is that he wanted inkers, the, the different people, to have fun inking yeah. it, which is why he was making such tight pencils so that people that have that do love to do this kind of stuff could have fun inking it and and showing off all that stuff. Am I did I misinterpret or did no, he change? No, I, I think I think you're right there. But I just think that you know if if at some point in the future this stuff was put out in any kind of format, it would probably be like an IDW artist edition, um, you know, format to put it out in so that it's, you know, put out like this. But yeah, he definitely wants them to, to take a stab at it. The problem is, is that pages like this 
this one here get ignored. This I have not seen an ink version of this page. And most of the inkers are going out there and they're picking, cherry picking the pages that they want to ink. Now, if I'm getting that wrong, please, somebody correct me. Because my biggest frustration here is that you cannot collect any one full issue of anybody's inks on, on any, on all the pages. It's just not, it's just not happening. And yeah, I don't think there's anyone that's inking full issues. You're right. They're just kind of picking pages or panels and whatnot. Yeah. And, and again, a page like this, for whatever reason, I think that the, the level of detail that's necessary for something, especially when the characters figures are that small, it would need someone like, like Romeo Tangal or, or Larry Malstead to, to go in and be able to ink it and make the characters distinctive enough. I think maybe what, to your point, John, or uh, Brian, Byrne does not plan on inking it himself. Right. Right. It, it's just, but yeah, you, you see a lot of these out. There are a lot of people that will take these pages, ink them, color them, um, some of their own style. Some try to kind of capture Byrne's style. Uh, but it's nice because it gets his stuff out. It gets it circulated. It gets you know keeps him in the zeitgeist. You know, it keeps people talking about him. Yep. Which is good. I wish more people were covering it. Yeah, you know, it's like if you, you know, it's like if anybody else could cover this and maybe get more exposure for it. Maybe you know that would help raise it up to a higher level. I don't. I don't know. I mean, we're, we're trying to give it as much coverage as we can, but I think it deserves more than more than that. So. Well, I'm because it at, is. I'm looking at this splash page, for lack of a better term, and something has just occurred to me. We have basically two panels here, and the bottom one seems to be an insert. If you look at the dividing line between the panels, mm -hmm. there's this sort of unnecessary additional border that, it, that has been added to the bottom one. All you really needed was a diagonal line. In fact, diagonal lines being reminiscent of... Uh, uh, of Tom Palmer and, and Doctor Strange and the really weird stuff that went on for the year that when he split off from the split books. But what I'm saying is it could have been handled with just a diagonal line. But instead, he's got a couple of vertical additional dead spaces on the left and the right. And I, I don't know about you guys, but I find that fatiguing after a while to watch, hmm. to be reading an issue or several issues and have bizarre panel not angles, layouts, but but you know panel borders and odd pieces laying out. I find that very tiring. When Byrne did the tenth circle and uh, Doom Patrol and and so that stuff many years ago, I think that's that contributed to uh, reader fatigue. Uh, I just think even the X Men, the Hidden Years, you know, a little of that goes a long way. So that's my comment. Hmm. I, I I don't find it a problem at all. I think you know to paraphrase or to uh, rip from Chris Claremont, it's part and parcel of what you get when you read, you know, this type of uh, story. Whether it was Byrne or Cockrum or uh, Adams and Palmer or, or you know any of the other ones uh, artists that came in, even John Romita Jr. You saw stuff like this, the layouts and the div division between the the panels was always something that you know they tried to make dynamic. Just so mm -hmm. you can follow the action, and I, I, you know, this doesn't—it doesn't seem like a pace. It seems like it's intentional, just because of the re the other pencil lines that are in there, and how it's erased and such. Um, but you know, again, that's just—I think it's part and parcel of the the way that the, these stories have been done over the years. 
yeah, don't I would get me wrong. That. I think this is a, a beautiful page, and it's beautiful artwork. Mm -hmm. But it's is the panel, um, not layouts, panel divisions. Yeah. That, that the panel that, borders. Yeah, and I mean it's kind of like you know yeah, using just, the less. It seems excessive after a while. That's all I'm. I'm saying well, just yeah. I mean, if you know, give me a straight nine-panel grid or four-panel grid once in a while, and I'm I'm fine. But when everyone is cocked or angled, and it's it, you know, and you you have to kind of struggle to figure where uh, you're supposed to read while your eye is supposed to flow, I find that fatiguing. I have no better word for it. And again, you know, this is you know where, where they're taking you into tape. space, and he's trying to sure. throw you a little off balance, give you that there's no gravity and things are kind of off balance and such. I, I, I yeah, I mean, if it's going to affect you, it's going to affect you, and that's probably not. Yeah, he, go ahead. He uses his uses layouts to help tell his story mm -hmm. to either add drama or, to your point, add a kind of a sense of disorientation, uh, and I. It's funny as Kirk. I did, it didn't bother me when I was reading this. Maybe because I got he's used to it because he's been doing this so all his elsewhere. But now that you mention that, I'm seeing it, and I can't not see it now. It doesn't bother me. Oh, the panel but border I can, division. Yeah, I can like see that? the point. Yeah. yeah, the point you're you you've got. But because the next uh, page, it's yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Well, and I think that angle, that kind of hard angle, is is to emphasize this drama that's going on with. Uh, that firebrand who is that um starbolt uh, as starbolt as he's kind of flaming on and and you know provoking the x-men and then the nets when gene tells him to stop you know acting like little boys and uh, which i thought was an interesting line that that he you know says this is no time for a uh a pointless pointless pissing contest and then she <laughs> yeah. he and he says i don't understand what you're talking about <laughs> so i love that now who, well, who is you know the the, the the panel layouts then straighten out when she calls a stop to it all of a sudden the bottom two panels are basically square and level yeah i think he's doing that to kind of add spice to his story he's trying to help the panels to to uh be a part of the story as well. Yeah, I got it. Okay. Yeah, but I, I can see your point that it might be what that doesn't tire me out. What tires me out is his jumping back and forth. He's done throughout right. most of these issues. That I, I get agree. whiplash. Um, and but. now, did y'all notice? Uh, I was I was sitting there looking at the. Um, of course, the Imperial Guard are a, a rip from the Legion of Superheroes. That uh, Dave Cochran created when he made the Imperial Guard way back when, um, and you see the guy there that looks like a Chameleon Boy, and uh, like a Durlin, over it's changeling, isn't it? No, it's Hobgoblin. I had okay. to, I had to go and check the name there, and yeah, Starbolt is the the one with the flaming hair, and then the other one that is the Wildfire uh, knockoff is called Impulse. The one with the big visor-like uh, face mask. Yeah, he's kind of a Cyclops-like, doesn't he? He projects some kind of a beam or something. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Impulse can fire powerful energy bolts from his visor. He may be may be a being of pure energy rather than having a physical form beneath his costume. And that's the way it is with Wildfire. Okay, yeah. And, yeah. and these are the lucky ones that survived. Um, as of course, you can see Oracle's got only half of her physical form the other half is cyborg uh and that was from 
the Lalandra Phoenix destroying the with the Shire homeworld. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why her 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 mental powers are, are like halved or, or reduced because she's got a I guess half organic brain and half a cybernetic brain. Yep. It's the beginning of the board. Yeah, it's, she does. Yeah, she looks a little bit like the board. But then that next page, you know, as far as being thrown off balance, is the inside of the minds of Kitty and Astra. And it is such an alien landscape. Uh, I, I, you know, I sit there and I, I just struggle to wonder how this would be visualized in a physical world beyond a comic book realm. Closest thing I Probably think closest of. Avatar. I was thinking I more think. Ego from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, his world. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd see that. And that panel at the bottom with uh, uh, Astra kind of her face kind of emerging from the ground, I think it's probably my favorite panel of this whole book. I don't, I mean, this whole issue, because I just think it's a lovely image and, and of what it, and also, you know, that they're in this kind of dreamlike alien. Who knows if it's even a real alien world, if it's Astra's world, who knows? But, you know, Kitty's as much a a prisoner of her because it's not her you know charles thinks that she's created this and then she says no no this is not me i'm here too this is somebody else's world then astra comes in as kind of this menace or this presence in this whole world uh, yeah they need to battle yep and then the next page of course goes back to more straight grid lines when we get back it's just the, basic yeah that's just basic yeah storytelling of him um and I know kind of what happens to him because I've read ahead, but I haven't read. Is his leg past, uh, Magneto in the, in the first panel where you see Magneto? Does his right leg look like it's? It looks wrong to me, and I guess it's just the angle of it. But where the muscles are there off the thigh, it looks like it's bent in. You mean when he's when he's flying? Yeah. When he's floating? When he's flying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. you're right. But it does look a little. Longer than the other one. I mean, the rest of the physical form looks looks good. I mean, he's always made Magneto a very broad, strong physical form, even though you rarely ever see Magneto engaging in any kind of fisticuffs. So the only thing that I didn't understand about this piece, and maybe I don't know, maybe there's some explanation, was why Magneto wasn't caught up with the other X Men if the Shear can pinpoint all of the anomalies because they know that it's going to destroy the universe. <laughs> probably his, would they his, probably his magnetic physical. power, you know, was able to yeah. shield him. I would have to assume. Or he physically left the area. Yeah. Yeah. But you would think they, they knew he was there. So they would have, I mean, they would have to have the blip somewhere on the planet. I mean, well, if they could, if they know that he's going to, that they're going to dismantle reality, I wouldn't think that physical, location would matter in this point they would be able to tell well, it's obvious they they're not getting everything that they think that they should get because even they have not tried to recover the dead body of nightcrawler yeah and that was the other thing unless because he's dead i, I don't know yeah, but i maybe still think that dead, would have mattered do anything but they grab cyclops yeah well magneto says there are countermeasures i can take so i don't know if that means he can somehow slow this process down or he can mask his signal or do something that maybe hides him from their sensors or knowing what happens later if anybody's right ahead and I don't want to spoil it maybe that is an explanation yeah I just thought it was odd but those explanations do kind of help make sense yeah 
So what's happening to his hand in the last panel there? It's like it's when dissolving. I feel my form beginning to slip away, what's is he He's starting to fade away back to his own reality? Is what I interpreted it, or somewhere in between the two, probably. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, somehow his what. being there makes him a danger to the very universe itself, and so I don't. Which think, is odd because yeah. the maybe, maybe because they're in stasis, but they don't seem to be having the same problem. I mean, obviously their presence there is causing some kind of a because we find a rift or an energy imbalance, but they don't seem to be... Um, that's why I thought maybe this was had something to do with actually what happens to him later. Hmm. But then we get a lot of, just a lot of an exposition dump of, you know, where where the, the, they've got all the other X-Men in stasis, and that uh, there's going to be a uh, you know, Cyclops ceases dead doppelganger. It looks and like then we they, hop back. It looks like they put Beast's shoulders back in order. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Andrew looks like he's kind of scrunched in that, like that tube's not quite big enough for him and his wings. But yeah, they say right here that, that Cyclops's the dead body is still a threat to the survival of the universe. So Nightcrawler's body has got to also be a threat, and there's no mention of it. But we don't know they didn't grab it, and they're just not showing it to us. Right. You know, they're they're showing Cyclops his body, and that allows them to say, well, there's still some kind of a, you know, it's kind of like uh, their foreign bodies in our universe, and our universe is trying to push them out. Yeah. Um, now the and then we go. Yep, we go back to Wolverine and Pablo, and I, I don't know about you guys, but looking out on the on Facebook groups, uh, the the Pablo storyline and the Ashley storyline seem to get groans. From uh, anybody and everybody that uh, that talks about them. Again, happy people don't tend to sit there and comment a whole much, a whole lot on things beyond. Oh, this is beautiful. This is great. Whereas the you know the the dissenting opinion seems to speak the loudest, and so you hear a lot of people just being critical of uh, of this. Um, well, is there anyone who really is thrilled about Pablo and Ashley? I mean. I, I don't hate them, but I also really don't. Right, but I I'm not mean, interested in them, and it kind of seems like, oh, we need we need a quick fix. So there's Pablo, or there's Ashley. So it almost seems like they're these. Right, but who is <clears throat> the audience? I mean, is 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 Byrne only supposed to write and draw for an audience of forty and fifty year old men? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I but, but no. I mean, you know, can't he? Can't Brian, he... I'm not. I'm not talking about his audience. I'm just saying this is. I think this is why people don't like the characters because he uses them as the quick fix to wrap up the story well, yeah, when it that. gets to the last of the pages, rather than actually creating something interesting with them, like when Kitty Pride was introduced. I think actually, you hit it right on the nail right there, John. Yeah. Burn is, he's not supposed to write to 40 year olds. He's not necessarily supposed to write to us. He's supposed to write a good story. And I don't think he has utilized these two characters in any interesting way. They, they, they're, he introduced them. They exist. You know, Pablo has vague powers that he can kind of step in. To your point, he's like a, does his machina. Yeah. He can step in exact and words I was fix, fix this thing when he has to. Uh, and I just keep waiting to your point, John. I was like, I'm not interested in him at all. If they disappeared, I would not miss him. I, I, I'm thinking that Byrne is going to try and introduce a concept with Pablo 
um, not along the same lines of, but something that will stretch your your understanding, like he did when he showed Galactus at the trial of, of Reed Richards. You know, he's gonna he's gonna hit us with something with Pablo that's gonna make you go, oh, and and I'm just waiting for that, but it's taken too long to get there. It, it's, it's a long, yeah, it's a long. But but even Vern himself of, has has realized that you know that this has gone on a lot longer than he originally you know he thought it was going to go maybe twenty issues, and now here we are, well over thirty, and really he doesn't show any signs of stopping. He keeps coming up with storylines and different directions that he wants to go, and because of that, you know the the these little plot lines and such are not progressing as quickly as you'd hope they would. To fruition. Now, fortunately yeah. for the the Shire and the Alt X Men storylines, he's moving those along and pushing past them. I mean, yeah. You, so I said that with these two issues are a lot of housekeeping. Yep. It's a lot of putting toys away and bring out some new ones, which uh, is nice. I'm glad that you know he used these to kind of buffer that up before he introduced the next direction, which is moving along interestingly, and uh, and and then it just kind of like. So, yeah, it's good to kind of get these little wrap-up. I miss those types of issues where you had sort of those wrap, those calmer issues in between the big stories that kind of epilogued and then set other things into motion, which I, I think that's a good format of a series yeah, storytelling. But, but here, here's a, the other, other thing I find real, real interesting. Whenever you mention Pablo, for a lot of the readers, there's an eye roll or a groan or whatever. And yet, he has done nothing different from Baby Yoda on The Mandalorian. That's true. And Baby Yoda is, like, universally loved by everybody. Well, Baby Yoda's being seen by more people, and let's face it, he's cuter. He's cuter <laughs> than Pablo. Um, oh, yeah, so if they get the right actor to play Pablo, it'd probably be be better, or if they... Yeah. I, I guess. I guess. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, he seems like he's setting up this kind of relationship between Pablo and Wolverine and he's trying to and I know this is not spoilers but later issues following this he kind of retells his origin of Wolverine yeah and so I don't know if he's trying to it's almost like Pablo is going to be his sidekick uh, uh, or you don't recall their last interaction then do you but that's that's forthcoming. That's, it hasn't happened. Yeah, yeah I've read those, but I, I get them mixed up in my brain, so yeah. I have to reread them. But um, yeah, this basically just puts Wolverine's. I mean, he he, he basically got his his uh, his jump scare uh, scene, which was a couple issues ago, where Wolverine gets his metal claws ripped from his flesh in a very violent, gory scene. Yeah, and yeah. here he gets he gets put right. You know, he's sitting there with his with like uh, his just dangling flesh and his metal arms, and then Pablo just you know, with a kind of a squelching noise, puts them all back together. Glorp. Now, I want to know why that wasn't tinted red like the original one. That would bookend the two images. It's not as dramatic, I think. It, but this is and, and this is Wolverine's body had healed up things so that there was no more blood dripping around or anything like that. So there's going to be as little blood as you might imagine. While the body, but wouldn't Wolverine's yeah. skin heal around this metal so that when Pablo did this, he'd have to rip the skin anew to put it over the adamantium? 
yeah, if it's been it? hanging loose like that, yeah, yeah. I think the I think healing would have started healing with the. But there's something more to it because you, you don't get any sense that Wolverine himself was in any sort of pain from this. Um, right. No, I think that's from Pablo touching yeah. him. He does, you know, somehow he, you know, he's because his brain is still a little fried. Um, you know, he would say that you know, his brain got cooked. And then he slowly was regaining his memory and, and his uh, yeah I, I think that uh, his if, if what's coming hadn't happened his memory would have eventually reformed anyway yeah but that's uh, just an assumption which is which is the groundwork that he lays here because we cut to um, Calgary and I always love it when he brings in Alpha Flight and we get Michael T Youngman um, who is a doctor and the he, senses a disturbance in the force. Exactly. Uh, why he, you know, is he in tune with all of the uh, Alpha Flight members, or is it just Wolverine? Yeah, because and where in time does this, it says at that moment. So the moment when Pablo puts him back together, he senses this, but he didn't sense anything when his flesh was ripped from the... the well, I don't, we don't know. Maybe that was, well, you're right, it says at that moment, so maybe that's it's because not of... Not felt anything like this before. Yeah, he didn't feel the pain that he had when he got his arms ripped up, but he's So there's feeling, something I don't about know. what Pablo's doing and something in, in, in Pablo's power that had to have caused yeah. the, this effect. And yet... And this is... Uh, yeah. yeah. And this is I, I, interesting that when he... Because he gets Alpha Flight involved in these issues later on, mm-hmm. that if that continues, and maybe you guys have that read ahead, you know, because he... Obviously, this is before at least the first... Uh, obviously, well, I don't know. Has Alpha Flight even been formed at this point? Yeah, I mean, um, oh, oh, uh, golly. Where does this fit in with the Alpha Flight series? He did. Is this obviously before issue twelve? Because well, James this is, is around. after X Men one forty would have been, you know, chronologically. So, right. so I mean, Alpha Flight is formed, but it hasn't been. Department H hasn't been disbanded yet. Right. So they're still working for the government. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Back to uh, Astra, the mind of Astra, the Disco Queen. Looks kind of like a zombie. Yeah. I say Disco Queen because her costume always looked like really, really bad. Oh, absolutely. She had like these bell bottoms, but they were furry bell bottoms, (laughs) and they had off her arms as well. (laughs) But, yeah. I have to chime in that. Uh, this era of Phantom Girl, which is who this character is based on, was my one of my favorite characters in the Legion of Superheroes at the time, and I loved her costume. So I loved that bell bottom look, yeah. and uh, it was a lot of fun. The the disc we call that the disco era of the Legion of Superheroes, and that was a fun time. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, Dave Cockrum designed virtually every character and costume. And, I mean, he created some really, really bizarre stuff. Cosmic Boy's costume possibly being the most, the ugliest thing I'd ever seen as far as... That's the pink and black thing he... Well, it was just the black, and it just covered, you know, certain parts of his body, and the rest was actually skin. Hmm. And... uh, Cochran was a master at doing costumes, I will say this. Whether you like his artwork or not, he was... A great costume designer. Yeah, I think the costumes for Ultra Boy or in, in Imperial Guard Smasher is an awesome costume that I'd love to have seen more of. But uh, no, but Nightcrawler to me, Nightcrawler is his best costume that I think, just because I yeah. love Nightcrawler. But I love that because I know he's almost ported directly over from. He was like a character he was going to use in DC yeah. and never came, and he just brought him right over. Yep. 
and uh, gave us a much much beloved character. Oh yeah, and I still think Alan Cummings did uh, did him such great service uh, representing him in X Men Two. Uh, he played played him very well, and he basically was and talked like Nightcrawler. I would expect in my head when I read Nightcrawler. Yeah, by shame. That's what he sounded like. So. Shame we never got the costume. Yep. But uh, back to this. Uh, of course, you know they're in a, an astral plane sort of thing where they're doing all this, and as Oracle appears, she is fully you know her her body is full flesh and blood, not the half and half. And then Jean shows up in the Phoenix outfit. And uh, it's because Astra sees her that way. That's why she's wearing it. But at least Astra doesn't see her as Dark Phoenix. And you can tell because the Phoenix symbol is incredibly small there on her chest. Yeah. Some really, really good uh, good details. But also to keep in mind is uh, Jean's hair uh, is also you know demonstrative of her state as a, a powerful being. The, the more wavy and... Um, I don't know how to say it, lustrous or luxurious her hair is, the, the, the more you should be worried. <laughs> well, it's almost like it's in, it's almost like it's in zero G, so it kind of floats and yeah, but kind of what, like the power radiating behind her is kind of lifting her hair and moving it and whirling it. And, yeah, but right now her hair just looks like uh, 80s Mean Girl. It's just because she uses well a balsam. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> uh, now, on the well, – go ahead. Well, I was going to say, uh, well, we get a little hint here if it means anything, but when you know we see Astra's kind of in her big hulking form is chasing uh, Professor X and Kitty, and they're asking why are, you know, she, Kitty says, well, I'm okay, why is her head messed up? And that's when Oracle said, well, you don't need to know about that. You know, that's nothing you to be concerned about. Let's just fix this problem. So I don't know, if, they don't seem to address that later, so I don't know that why she seems to be in distress and Kitty's not. So it seems like Kitty's trapped in her mind, not the two minds are kind of melded together. Yeah. Hmm. And then Jane does a uh, Apache Chief and grows to fifty feet tall. <laughs> or uh, who's the who's the woman? Giganta. Giganta. Giganta yeah. That. Uh, yeah. That's that's a weird He's image though, where they show the hand coming down between Oracle and Gene, and I mean. I don't know. I, I, it, it could have been done differently. It, it just seems so weird. But I do love the fact that all of her furry stuff is is, is definitely showing around it as it's coming coming down amongst the Argo Bargo below. Though the uh, the lettering on the shroom, and yeah, it must be taking some strong shrooms. Uh, <laughs> looks a little odd. Uh, it's like it's photoshopped in. Yeah, it's an overlay. Yeah, he's put that in there. Yeah, but I think he should have filled it in rather than making it transparent. Yeah, but I could be wrong. That's just well, that's he just could. I, well, if he if he would have been really wanted to be ambitious, he could have had all the 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 separate letters coming up through her fingers and breaking apart as yeah she smashes down. That'd be cool. And sorry, then we get a cat fight at the bottom. Um, <laughs> and Jean again is <clears throat> again. You know, she says, I, I'm getting real tired of telling you people I wasn't there. So I'm not, you know, I'm not the gene you're looking for. Wasn't me. I wasn't that there. Was, I didn't do it. Nobody saw me do it. Nobody can prove it. That. That's all right. Wasn't me. Not me. Not me. <laughs> oh, wait. That was Bart Simpson. 
And now the and energy get... that comes off in this is a lot different than things that we've seen in the past. And again, I guess being on the mental landscape, you don't want to use you know Kirby Crackle in that. This is definitely you know different than, than what he's done before. And it looks like he's used his little electric racer to, to edge the borders of it. Looks almost like ice cubes. Yeah. Maybe they're uh, maybe all this power is putting off uh, waves of ice. And there's Professor Xavier running in the mental landscape. And I, that he, I don't, what he does, he does something to kind of snap them all out of it. This is something that always always falling. pulls me out of comic books, and that is you notice that Jean's wearing heels in her costume, Marvel Girl costume. Even in the Phoenix costume, she had heels on. And is that really the most comfortable way that female comic characters want to get around? I don't know. I've never worn heels. <laughs> Thank G- Ginger Rogers did it in in heels, but uh, dancing backwards with Fred Astaire. If she can manage it, then. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't look comfortable, especially if you've got to run like, say, Wonder Woman when she was always having those high boots. Yep. Yeah. Um, trying to run in that. <laughs> I mean, I used to wear cowboy boots when I was younger, and if I had had to run for whatever reason, that that was not comfortable. So yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. and even that's a low heel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not as high as uh, not as high as this. Yeah, I have my mm-hmm. Justin Roper things. Oh man. Now I love this little uh, image in the bottom right of this ne- of this page. Now, of course, the not bottom right, but. First, the middle image of Professor Xavier in the middle of all that. And, of course, the, the shading and shadow he uses, uh, he pulls from Neil Adams' influences, obviously. But the shots of everybody's different sets of eyes, and they're all distinctive. I mean, you, you look at Kitty, and good. you're like, yeah, that is Kitty's eyes. Astra's obvious. But, you know, in the rest, you can almost see the age. Well, yeah, it, it's just each, each set of eyes is distinctive. Yeah, Kitty's eyes look like a young girl's eyes, yeah. and uh, Xavier's look, you know, an older man's eyes, and he's got, I mean, you were talking about the Neil Adams shading, yeah. I've also noticed that some of this, Kirby will have, or Kirby has it, Bert has emphasized his eyebrows, you know, Kirby yeah. always drew uh, Professor X with these heavy black eyebrows, and you kind of see them. Here. Yeah, the um, I, I noticed Cockrum did that also. Cockrum almost made yeah. him as big as that troglodyte leader in Star Trek and the Cloudbinders. <laughs> but <laughs> that guy had some serious eyebrows. And then this next page has my favorite image of the issue. And that is... Is that profile? Well, the yeah, the profile image all in... Um, what do you call that? Recessed light or... Uh, yeah, negative yeah. imagery. Well, that's actually being known as chiaroscuro lighting. It's dramatic lighting. Oh, cool. If you're talking but, art. But, and yeah. that's the alt-Jean Grey that's, uh, that's that's doing that, right? Yeah. Because what? The, yeah, that's the alt. Yeah, because she's... Now, now, she does look like maybe... Now, she's not fading away like Magneto. That's the scanner that they've got that's showing, I guess, energy or something radiating around her. Yeah. Because... Uh, is it last issue or issue before they removed the the control chip from her her brain? And they realized that Magneto was just using them. <laughs> yep, he was. And then, of course, this next image has very, very liberal use of his electric eraser. 
where yeah. he's drawn the image and then gone back behind it and pulled out all these lines and such. Some, of course, look really, really cool, and some look like almost scribbles. But uh, still, really, really uh, cool imagery. And, and the thing is, in the next, where we see Kitty, uh, Professor helping her out of the pod, and they realize that basically the energy built up and they're, they're, they've got to get off the ship, I assume that we don't know if Astra has returned. It looks like her form has not solidified. She looks, I don't know why she's... Um, Recessed. And they broke the link, so I guess she's okay, yeah, but it looks like she's glowing or maybe she's phasing or As Oracle would something. say, this is not of your concern. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> you know, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. You know, just yeah. get on the ship. And then there's that uh, nice small panel that's got so many characters in it, and yet, once again, they're distinct. You can even see Angel's yep. wings and Iceman there. That's a small panel. No, that's not Iceman, is it? Who's that between Colossus and Kitty under Angel? That is that's ice, that's ice man. He's got trunks on. Okay, it was it was Nightcrawler that they're missing. Yeah, you're right. Yep, that's Iceman. Well, we see Nightcrawler. And then he shows up. Yeah. Do you assume that he he gets everybody? He teleports everybody on board the ship. Is that how you no, he that? just says, "Kurt, get aboard the ship." Yeah, so I don't know if he means he gets he's getting it ready, so they're all. But I thought maybe he meant teleport everybody onto the ship. Yeah, no, they were close enough that they could all get out. But then they have to back out, turn around, <laughs> and then of course whatever's happening is uh, really uh, playing havoc with the Shire vessel. That's this next page also is really I love what he does with the sh- with the Shire vessel there in the bottom right hand panel. But every panel leading to it is just gripping. Beautiful art, Angel there sitting there. You know, so after all these years, you can't let us down. You know, giving Scott the business. <laughs> well, this this kind of harkens back to what I always thought Kirby was a master at when he wanted to do a bright light. He would represent it with usually like a white panel and maybe just some black dots. Yeah. And that's what that's probably if this was inked and colored, this would probably be just the silhouette of the Shiar would be black. It'd be all white, and then you see, of course, the them looking at the. And just at the moment you think all is lost, we change stories to the. the, We jump. We uh, jump back to to Scotland. To Scotland, and pick up a story that is what the first couple issues when the uh, the X Men were attacked by the Sentinels, and this is now is uh, this the, the the Scottish version of Epcot? It looks like. Or the Death Star. <laughs> or that's a Trade Federation ship, one or the other. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, and then they see, you know, big explosion. And then it's, you know, what happened? Yeah, that's a big explosion. And, of course, that last image of the Sentinel ship coming in, one of the many uh, uh, almost... Uh, what do you call it? Uh, infinite supply of Sentinel ships they have. Yeah. <laughs> is that? Is Burn, I guess Byrne did that. I wonder how he's done that. That doesn't look penciled. Well, I mean, he's got the Kirby crackle all about. Yeah, it's all over it. But the 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 vessels that he uses, he typically makes computer renderings of them, and then works it in there, and then pencils over it. So yeah, that's probably that's that image was photoshopped in, and then he just added his flourish and flair to it still gorgeous I really 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 like that image 
But that right there is that issue. Which one is that? Was that 23? We still have one more to go through. Do we have enough time? I mean, we've kind of. Yeah, I think we can we can move through. I, I, wrote, my, I wrote my synopsis. I'm going to read it. <laughs> I worked hard on this synopsis. Okay. <clears throat> you did. You did. And with that, John has to bail out along with uh, to the alt-mirror universe. Oh. He's oh, been no. the alt-John all this time. Been alt-John all this time. <laughs> I'm about to destroy the fabric of the universe with my presence. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay, so let, let me ask you this. Do you have a goatee? I do, actually. Oh, wow. <laughs> Wow, he is, he, is a, he is Mayor John. Well, I've been Mayor Brian for like 20 years then, so. My wife won't let me shave off my beard. My goatee. Well, it's been fun. The next episode, or the next issue, I really think is a, a the the best of, the ser- of that storyline. It was really a good one. And, um, yeah, it just has a lot of great shots, and, and it has... Thor spoilers. No, it's got good Thor scenes in it. Aptly titled yeah. Mirror Mirror, since we were talking about yeah. that. There, there's some great, it's a great episode, great, great issue. So have fun. All right. Well, take care, John. Don't you wish right, you John, could stay, nice. John? We've got Thor. <laughs> take care. Bye. Okay, Tim. So uh-huh. you want to get us into this one? Yep. Oh, get into Elswin number 24. Entitled Mirror Mirror. Is it Mirror Mirror or Mirror <laughs> It's Mirror slash Mirror. Oh, yeah, you're right. It is. It's Mirror Rorim. Um, uh, tribute to the Star Trek episode. My brain filled that in. I never saw that, that he did that. Uh, okay, Mirror Mirror. Somewhere in time and space, the X Men are returning to Earth. Cyclops fights the controls to bring the small ship safe, small spaceship in. in as the group approaches the landing beacon. They are stunned to find a completely intact X-Men. They touch down, but the mansion is overgrown, broken windows and rot. Kitty phases inside and locks the door. No one has lived here for years. Storm, Storm discovers the attic has never been converted into a room. She never lived here. Angel reports the whole area has gone to seed. Xavier finds his files on mutants around the world are missing. They start to put the pieces together. This is not their mansion. They have crossed over into the mirror universe. Storm senses a disturbance just as the house is rocked with a massive patoom. Man, Cut to Earth orbit. just can't win, can it? <laughs> Cut to Earth orbit. 50 minutes earlier. The Shi'ar spaceship is in trouble. See last issue. All systems are overloading. Engines failing. Gladiator uses his vast power to slow the ship's descent. Slow, but not stop. Around him, the Around him, time and space seem to fold. The air above Salem Center glows, and a building of energy suddenly dissipates, and the town simply ceases. And the town simply ceases to be part of the world. Cut back to the mansion now. Nightcrawler and Colossus are exploring the grounds when a bolt of lightning knocks them off their feet. Enter the God of Thunder and the Warriors Three. They are not happy. See issue, and I didn't fill this in. See the issue where. They explain that Mito left his world. A misunderstanding scuffle ensues in true mar- Marvel fashion before Gene and Xavier link minds to explain. One telepathic conference call later to explain they are not the evil mutants that devastated this Earth. Thor ceases his attack, but is suddenly attacked by an enraged gladiator. These are not the evil Donnie mutants Brooke you're Be- looking for. Okay, sorry. <laughs> 
The Donnybrook begins again, and the mansion pays the price. Kitty phases through the floor with Xavier before the roof crashes him. Crashes in. They discover no high-tech basement, no danger room, no evidence Xavier ever formed the X-Men. The master telepath blasts the area with powerful blasts of mental energy. Kitty and he phase through the ground to find the group has stopped fighting. They understand the mutants mean them no harm. Thor understands they are not the evil servants of Magneto, but but where are they? Gladiator leads the group to the Down Shiar starship and explains the villains are in stasis. They must face the justice for their crimes. The Cyclops explains they are under they were under the control of Magneto and should not be held responsible for their actions. The Shiar scientists determine they can reverse the process that brought the two ships to this Earth. Everyone hurries aboard as Gladiator lifts the massive ship into the air. In a very Star Trek scene, the mighty starship prepares to jump between universes. Jump is successful, and every everyone is in their own world once more. The X-Men depart from the Shi'ar ship and head home. Cyclops mansplains the mirror X-Men created an insta- instability between the two universes. The Shi'ar were able to harness the energies in the last minute and get them home. The group land at the site of the mansion, still a pile of argle-bargle. Scott and the professor think the mansion is no longer safe. The team need a more defensible location to be continued. So, Golly, this one is lots going on. This one, awesome, just awesome. I mean, there's so much in this one issue, though. I, I think that in storytelling, John Byrne is falling victim to one one thing, and that is, and how do I explain this? Um, we as the reader already know certain things we know what's going on we know where there are before they do but he seems to have to feel like he's got to explain that over and over that they don't understand each where issue they are. Is, that it seems to each issue is somebody's first issue yeah but you know the thing is in that episode the the issues where they fought the new sentinels the enhanced sentinels that Shaw created you know, Cyclops figured out what was going on, and yet he had to sit there and do several pages of Cyclops discovering and rediscovering it is, even though he had already said, you know, that he knew what was happening. And here, you know, they already have an idea of what's going on because they're aware of the Alt-X-Men and all that, and it, 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 it seems to take them too long to get there mentally to where they should be. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, 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 I th- yeah, and I understand it may be for the reader's benefit, but it was just a little too much. Yeah, I agree. It, it takes them a lot to catch on, but I think the idea of having to explain is that's just comic book storytelling. Right. You know, how often do you, you do readers usually say out loud what they should be thinking, or they're explaining something, or they're just making you know they're making note of something that's obvious because we're the reader need to know what's going on, but. Um, you're right. It seems to be that that it takes him a long time for they finally click, and it, until his he finds his files gone, does Xavier start to to, to put it all together? Realize that no, no, yeah, you know, we're getting a little. You think as soon as they saw the mansion, they would think, oh, this is not our Earth. We're getting a little odd sound in the background. That's my uh, that's my computer. Oh, sorry, okay. no worries. It's, it's 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 crunching itself. Ah, it's Apple, isn't it? It's an apple, yeah. It's probably my time machine is backing up. I got a quarter here. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All right, so uh, as we start into this story, I, I mean, the the first page. Obviously, you're supposed to see that they're in very heavy light from you know just the the the, the burning that's going on around the Sentinel ship. 
and so everybody is in heavy, heavy, heavy light. That's why it looks so like almost an unfinished pencils, doesn't it? Yeah, it'd probably be. There's no, there's no shading to this. Right. I think it's because the, whatever the the Shi'ar ship is creating this massive white uh, explosion or energy ball or whatever it is that's that's kind of dragging them with them. And he's trying to fight controls. I like how Kitty's grabbing Colossus there and hanging on to him. Put your seatbelt on. Storm's not even... She's just holding on to the back of him. And Angel's just flopping on the ground. Yeah. Well, he can always use his wings to brace him. It's true. Cyclops is holding on to the collective... You know, the... the, What do you call it? Joystick or everything for dear life there, too, in the bottom panel. Well, I got a question. Okay, in this world, Xavier's dead... Mm-hmm. So the, his mansion, which was his family's home, has basically gone to rot and gone to seed. Xavier does not have any relatives. Yeah, he does. If, if you don't count his sister. Um, no, Cain Marco. Well, yeah, well, obviously Cain Marco doesn't come and claim that, hey, this house is mine now. Because <laughs> he doesn't. I'm just thinking that. They don't talk. He doesn't realize he's gone. It's true. They don't, they don't, they don't have family dinners anymore, you know. I just, I just don't know if this would, you know, would it just lay there? Because somebody's got to pay property taxes on it. If there's only paying property taxes, wouldn't the state come in and take it? Uh, again, you know, that's a, a really good point. How long was the Xavier gone? How long was he dead? And, you know, as far as government goes, wills turn slowly. Especially in a place is as creepy <laughs> as Xavier's school for gifted youngsters. That's true. True, true. Well, what was the timeline between when he, he was paralyzed in our in the six one six universe, and he formed the X Men. It was several years, wasn't it? Well, he also has Agent Duncan, uh, the liaison with the FBI. Yeah, true. As it initially spun, so you know they're busy dealing with Kennedy's assassination yeah, and, and all the rest. Yeah, and other and top. I think that the the government would sit there and go, "Okay, Xavier's. Oh no, that's hands off." And so any government body that sits there and says, "Okay, what about this place in Gray Malkin?" Oh. We're not supposed to approach. They don't know why, but they're not supposed to approach. And so that's probably also why Xavier's mansion was left alone. Mm-hmm. Okay, I deserve a no prize for that. Yep. <laughs> you know, in the uh, next officially, couple of pages officially here, awarded. When, uh, when Cyclops tries to land and tries to open the hangar doors, but they don't seem to open, uh, it's really interesting to see the explanation, you know, it's like, they hit your doors, they're not responding. It's almost like they're not even there. It's like, wait a minute, I wouldn't jump to that. I'd say, <laughs> why aren't they opening? Uh, they don't seem to respond to the control, so I'm going to land somewhere else. I wouldn't go to, they don't exist. It's, it's, it's you know, the writer knows the point he's trying to get across yeah. in his right. and his character. And I, and I think at this point, as us readers were screaming at, at the yeah. comic saying, you're on the, you know, you're on the other Earth. Come on, you know you're on the other Earth. Yeah. We're just waiting for the, the the characters to catch up. And I, I think Professor Xavier kind of deserves a little knock in this one right here because Kitty goes right through the door, you know, and everything, and comes back out, and then he goes, "Kitty, that was rash, impulsive action. He should have anticipated she was going to do that and stopped her before she did it, right. because she's been doing this all along." Right, so her character, she's true to character. Yeah. Yeah, I think she's sure she's just impulsive. She it hasn't is. been trained. This, If this is taking place someplace after X-Men 140, uh, it's still very early in her joining the X-Men. She's very immature and 
and untrained, unseasoned. Yeah. So, which is interesting because in the later issue, she kind of has a same, a similar conversation with uh, Ashley on kind of the same lines. Yeah. But they're flipped, you know. Yeah, I'm the experienced one, kid. You're the new kid on the block. You should listen to me. I know all about it. But we do spend a lot of time in this, them really, you know, we get almost half a page of the storm saying that her attic is just an attic. It was Mm -hmm. never converted. Um, And then the fact that Angel flew around the whole whole compound and found that it's all kind of not been mowed or manicured or or kept up. Um, Yeah, this almost uh, had a Star Trek feel to it. Way everybody's yeah, reporting. It's, it's all, all you need is a we're not in Kansas anymore yeah. uh, line. Then, of course, the whole house is rocked with a yeah, the tomb. The whole thing was a good breath of quiet, you know, mm-hmm. until Thor makes himself known. But um, yeah. the one thing I find disconcerting is um, that image, that, that page where Angel's reporting about the flying over the house and everything, the middle panel of Storm standing there, and you can see where Byrne has drawn her head and then he went and drew the hair around it, the headdress and the hair and everything. It's disconcerting to me. Oh, the, where her hair is flowing back behind but it. You can still see the curvature of her head in, underneath. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's slightly sketched in her, her ear or her head or skull. Yeah, it's just part of the process, but yeah. usually they erase that afterwards or the inking doesn't of course cover it. You know, I mean, since they don't ink it, it doesn't show up on the final finished product. Yeah. But here we get to see it, and I again, like I said, it's disconcerting. And then I can't even read the um, the explosive exclamation there. What is that? Patoom. Patoom. I I called it a patoom. It's like B T T O M. Closely related to foom. Boom. Yeah, there you go. But more powerful. And it reminds me of an old of an old joke, a really bad joke. It's a lightning. Uh, the, the old joke, and it only take a few seconds, but uh, the old joke is that there's a bar and there's all these old hunters in there. And um, these two guys are sitting there. And one of them says, It is B A R R O M. And the other hunter goes, No, no. It's B A R. Was it B A R O O M? And the waitress walks up and goes, Gentlemen, you're both wrong. It's B A R R O O M. And she walks off. And one of them turns to the other and goes, what do you think she ever heard an elephant fart? (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, really bad. That came from my dad. He's dad ass. Dad ass. (laughs) Then we hop back, of course, hop back in time to see how all this happened, which has been Burns' MO most of this. Uh, We get more electric eraser, which is really cool there's radiating all this energy around the, the, the starship and we get more uh, so do you think he, he he shaded in the whole thing and then just went at it with the eraser or he was yeah. he did some I think he shaded in most then, of it and it was then, like he shaded yeah. that's that's really cool it just went it with the, it's the fact that he can do it without tearing up the paper is pretty good too yeah um, it's got to have some tough and we get more, more evidence of gladiators uh, almost unlimited might and a little uh Kind of what he did when he in FF two fifty where he was because uh, he mentions um, some says he's picked heavier because he has lifted greater weights it's true but under very different conditions now, I wonder if he's got to be referring to the Baxter building well I'm sure he's done well, many many maybe. things in his yeah. 
illustrious career. But it, I do like the force well, you know, and sheer strength swirl and flow around right. him. So it, yeah. So he again, he's his explanation is more psionic yeah. and just brute strength. You know, uh, he's super man. <laughs> he is. Um, but then you get that nice little shot of Westchester County. They only have a moment to contemplate their seemingly certain obliteration when the energies dissipate it's, themselves. With it's gone. Yeah. In a summer breeze. And, and they, they almost try to act like that's just Tuesday for them. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some, some alien thing blew up in the sky again, you know. Yep. And then still, still back in the past, we see Peter and Bobby walking around. And Peter, not in his armored form. I don't know. See, to me, that's kind of a mistake. You know, he turns into his armored form when he realizes something's going on. And just just in time, but still, I mean, is being Colossus is being in his armored form an effort, even when he's not exerting himself? I don't know. I don't know. Impression. I don't think Hotmu says it. I think he can stay on it indefinitely as long as he's he's in good health. They they have shown that he's rendered unconscious. Obviously, he'll revert. Now the bottom panel there, as the lightning is striking about them, and you see Colossus in that kind of. in you know, in shade, look at his fingers on his on his hand as they're splayed about. It almost looks looks like they're they're barely connected at the joints. It's very robotic. Oh, yeah, I think he can stay in his metallic form indefinitely as long as it doesn't rain. Then he needs an oil can. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, bad Wizard of Oz joke. Yep. You'll just edit that right out. <laughs> no, make, no, no, no. Uh, my, my dad joke is in there. And then, of course, the next page has what should be an entire page splash yep. of Thor coming Agreed. in. And, I mean, this is, while it's burned at its finest, it's also very, very Neil Adamsy, And just, I mean, every Thor image in this uh, just bespeaks the history and the power of this character. He, he, I mean, it was so sad that Byrne never did an actual Thor series because I think he would have, you know, given him just as much, you know, grandeur, just as much uh, gravitas that uh, Simonson did in his run. Well, True, it's, but... It's also Sim- stronger by only giving us an occasional glimpse of the god arriving True, true. and the god behaving... You know, godlike, just, you know, less is more, I think. If you got page after page of this, I think you'd grow very tired and you'd say, this isn't my Thor. This is the cover, though. If this if this book has been published, you know, when it actually had been in, the, say, the 80s, that would have been the cover. would have been Thor attacking the X-Men. Yep. And then it'd be like, oh, some teaser line of, you know, the greatest battle ever known or, you know, will they survive? <clears throat> Something like that, but and it, what we say in this, I think all of the Avengers are dead. Like most of the villains, I mean, most of the heroes are dead, yeah. killed yeah. by Magneto and his 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 evil X Men. Uh, obviously, Thor survived, and he went and got his other Asgardian uh, the warriors companions, Sif, yeah, to help Venge. I love this whole thing because it shows the X Men holding their own against incredibly powerful foes. This is Thor's kooky quintet. <laughs> a very powerful kooky quintet, though. I yep. mean, these guys, man, these guys are like the best. And yep. I mean, 
I, I that's that's the one thing I in, the, that that I really didn't like in the MCU is what they how they handled the Warriors three, and we don't even know what happened with Sif there. But you know, if you've watched the MCU, you know that that all that was just dispatched with. But I guess they had to for the sake of the story. But these are characters that should be undying, everlasting. Well, now we've got the multiverse, they can always come back. True, true. But it's only apparently in this moment that Iceman decides to uh, ice up as uh, the X-Men are fighting and Cyclops is going up against Thandral. But even Colossus... What? Wait a minute. Yeah, if you look at the... Oh, Cyclops does. Yeah, Cyclops attacks Thandral, and you can see Iceman behind him, and it looks like he is just icing up in that moment. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, the next page is Colossus taken on Wolfstag. Wolfstag. Wolfstag, excuse me. That is... I love that shot. There's a lot of detail. Uh, It's kind of a hard angle, but you can understand what he's he's flipping over. It's a Captain Kirk roll. Um, Yeah, Yeah. he's absolutely... You know, it's it's not a a shoulder roll, but... But he's he's pulling him over. Yeah, that's great. And then then the women have to kind of sort things out where Jean comes in and uh, I do like Sif's headdress. Yeah, Thor's wife. Sif was Thor. Did did they ever actually marry in the comics? I mean, maybe in in mythology. I don't think they so. Did. They were just no. they were kind of boyfriend girlfriend, or he was on again off again with her. But I think yeah. she had kind of a uh, an unrequited love for Thor. Maybe. Yeah. I think uh, she, was, she was the, the, the substitute love interest when they had to take Jane Foster off the table in, right. in the 136. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. But, but this, I guess, because Jane would never have met Thor. Though the, those X-Men, or did the original X-Men ever meet? They yeah, met the, they Avengers, the Avengers, so they would know. Yeah. yeah, so she would know who Thor was. But she'd never met, I guess, another Asgardian. Right. So... She would know who it was, and it, and you know, and in a, in a true Marvel fashion, by the time you think it's it's settled down, and Thor seemed to understand because they're projecting this into his head, then Gladiator sh- shows up, uh, and I love that scene where Thor is just taking his hammer and just uh, uppercut Gladiator, and just the fight starts all over again. I'm still I'm still looking at. Um the page there where uh, just where the, the bottom panel where, where Gladiator attacks and that image of Thor's face and again it is he's channeling atoms with that image there there's just no well especially that one right above it where Thor says yes I feel these yeah, thoughts in my exactly head that's exactly what I'm talking about that's yeah, just absolutely yeah. greatness true true greatness stuff like this is why you have like Eagle Awards and and Hugo Awards, you know, dramatic presentation. It, it, and because it's considered fan fiction, it's never really uh, up for uh, it won't, yeah, yeah. for any kind of awards. But, I mean... It won't, uh, it won't be up for anything. It's just awesome. And again, it's great to see the X-Men being so effective in what they're doing. And yet, here comes the next page where, you know, Kitty and Professor are looking around, and he's still looking around like he hasn't figured... Exactly. It out when it already seemed like they'd figured it out. Well, it, it feels more for the audience, us, that he's having to explain, like, oh, yeah, you know, there's no elevator here. I never created the X Men. Yeah. This is, uh, 
that he has even has her go under the ground and see if there's any sub basements. Of course, there's not. Yeah, and that that um, image there, where at the bottom right, where it's Professor Xavier saying, "I must make this clear to the Asgardians. I must make them believe." Mm-hmm. His face looks oddly shaped, and part of it's because of the way the well, jawline is constructed. Yeah, his, his he's using his power. Point. He's emphasizing. Yeah. Yeah, the power of those eyebrows. Yeah, that's was, true, uh, definitely. That's probably it. When he he's used got his, like, eyebrows, got like his the, uh, powers, his eyebrows flare. He's got like the machine smith's eyebrows there. That would be cool. You know how, uh, is it Psylocke they used to have that little glowing, yes. like a butterfly or something? Yeah. Uh, on her face, they draw. very early New X-Men under Cockrum, when he would use his power to, to link, mind link with them, you would see a very tight shot of his eyes with huge uh, flowing eyebrows. <laughs> That's it. Uh, superimposed. Uh, they did that when Thunderbird died, and a couple other places as well. It was an interesting interpretation of of his mind link, his telepathy. But boy, it, it was heavy handed. Well, why uh, why can't Kitty pull when she pulls <clears throat> Professor up, and they've all kind of after he's blasted everybody, and he, she pulls him up to the ground, and everybody's kind of stopped fighting. Why can't she pull the chair up too? Now he's stuck being carried around by Colossus. Yeah, she can just reach back down and pull it up. But I guess the connection to it is not so strong unless they're holding it, you know, right. heavily. She's got a hold. Yeah. yeah. Uh, none of the uh, none of the people standing around there the, watching these two figures emerge transparently from the ground. None of them seem to be surprised. Now the X Men, I can understand. They've seen but her power. But he's calmed them. But he's actually calmed Thor? them down. Not, not only did okay. he communicate to them what's actually going on, but he's calmed them down. He's been able to do that. They've demonstrated many, many times over the years. And going back to the point about the wheelchair, that's actually a really, really cool detail to sit there and think about, that she didn't pull up the chair with the professor, because that's just not how her power works. So just you know, pointing, pointing that out for the sake of that. How did they get in the basement? How did Kitty and, and the professor get she there? She faced him down. She they, she dove over him and brought him down, so the chair would have gone with him. Okay. Right, you see it. Yeah, you I see, see the that. chair at the yeah. bottom, yeah. Because the, the roof is collapsing out on him. it out. That's interesting. But here's something that's more important. If It looks like when they get on the ship, and there's a little back and forth, but Gladiator, you know, he's... The professor says, well, your, your scientists will probably explain, you know, what happened. And... And Thor says, well, if, you know, if you're really not the evil guys, then, you know, where are they? So they all go aboard the ship. Yeah. And then, you know, if, if later when they leave, if they don't get Xavier's chair, wouldn't that be considered kind of like a piece of antimatter yep. left Ooh. in a matter universe? Or wouldn't it yep. cause the same That's thing? That's an interesting point. But then what, you, what would you say about all the dead skin cells that fall off everybody? Well, that's true. But, but yeah. You know, yeah. That, yeah, if you want to get nitpicky, that yeah, being we said, could say that too. This page... <laughs> Still is like so many characters all over that top it that top panel which just got everybody standing there and then the bottom panel where they're all going to the, I I would love to think to find out exactly how much this page went for because typically when you have things with so many characters especially main characters the pages go for yeah. higher value. You bet. Did he sell these? Has he sold these yeah, page pages? Yeah. Uh, I, I I checked with Chris Warden in the past to see how much they're going for and. You know, I'd rather have a car. So, yeah. <laughs> well, these are even yeah. more one of a kind yeah. because these are never, they, they are not only the original pencils, but they have never been published or anything like that. So that makes them even more rare. 
you know, your thought about Professor X's chair being left behind, kind of, uh, that's a good Easter egg, or sort of like Horcruxes. I could see a series being launched or parallel, like, okay, we've got to go back and take all back. the loose items from this world and put it into that world. In this world, we got to get uh, everybody's body, including Magneto's body, and put it back in that world. I mean, that could be kind of an interesting quest type miniseries you know, with adventures ensuing as they look for the, the missing horror crux that have to be sorted out again. Never mind. But, well, I will say this, on the very last page, when they, when they return to Earth and are getting off the ship, you see Professor Anna chair. So they must have gone and retrieved the chair. Yeah, Colossus is carrying right. it to the Sentinel ship. He's carrying it. Never mind. Erase what I just said. Yeah. Colossus and Kitty are the ones taking it back. So obviously she took them over to get it while Professor Xavier was talking to Gladiator and Thor. Oh, true. Well, I thought I had no prize. <laughs> and nobody, I guess nobody in uh, this area seems concerned about this massive starship that has crashed. Yeah, uh, that, that is... Outside, I mean, I don't know how big his area, I don't know how big a, a, of land he has, but I don't think it's... Well, I, I don't think it was even there that. on his property, was it? That I don't know. Could have been you, you don't know. Shari I don't know how far they walked. It could be a few miles away. I love the the look of that with all the steam and everything coming off of it. And then you see everybody, little tiny little figures. Now, I was led to believe that this was like the largest starship they had. And I just kind of figured it would even be larger. But I love the fact that the 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 those that that like is a giant window and you can see that there's people inside i think or you know mm -hmm. aliens inside but i always oh, figured that the yeah, ship is even that. larger than that but still pretty cool and then we, again back to the page we were talking about where kitty and colossus have the wheelchair and gladiator takes off through all the argle bargle goes goes well, underground to lift up the ship in this world all magneto and the old x-men have uh have taken over the world. They killed all the Avengers. They wiped out the FBI. The CIA doesn't exist, and probably North American NATO organization has been uh, dismantled. So I'm not surprised nobody comes to check yeah, out the aliens. You wonder what the truth. Yeah, you wonder what the the full ramifications of Magneto's work has done because it doesn't seem like he has become, you know, ruler of the world. Or that you know he's you know created the master race or anything like he'd li you know like to have done, um, you know with mutants. If anything, he's made them more public enemy number one. Right. And it doesn't matter who's left; they're all hunting after him. Um, It'd be nice if if he later re if he returns to this earth where these X Men or maybe have been rehabilitated and become heroes. Yeah. Maybe they join with Thor. And become the Norsemen. Mayhap. <laughs> or, uh, you know, they're the new Avengers. Yeah. I do like... I don't, I don't see know. that happening. You know, Quicksilver says... <coughs> where is it? Someplace along here. They says... Uh, they are stable and neutralized as they're uh, getting them off the ship. And I believe it's Quicksilver that's in the front says, Not for long. <laughs> I don't think you're going to turn him. Well, you may not. Yeah. He's, He's, he's belligerent to the end, but... Yeah, and then, of course, it was Beast that sits there and says, you know, our wills weren't entirely our own. Entirely being, mm. well, literally not our own. So yeah. I guess not entirely. That's misspeak on my part. 
the chips I love, removed at this look point. At, look at Jean's reaction to the dead Cyclops there. I mean, she is so creeped <laughs> out. I just now realize that his head is just yeah, lolling just, like that. <laughs> <laughs> that is so right. I'm surprised that Scarlet Witch is not uh, not also looking there just upset and everything. But it is what it is. But why does Bobby not have a yeah, chest restraint? Yeah, I noticed that too. He has just a, he has just a, a waist restraint. I, and where's the dead dead Nightcrawler? Again, I, that was something I pointed out. They they did not recover dead Nightcrawler. So he's not there. And he's Maybe still in our universe. Back. Maybe that's why they have to go back, not for the wheelchair. Yeah, but, but, but because he's Nightcrawler's dead, body. it will take longer for the instability to have an effect. So Brian yeah. can bring it up whenever he needs to. But how, well, how will they get there? Well, we should point out there is still a oh, alt-magneto on our Earth. Yeah, and that story's coming to a head in the current Yeah, the current that's, coming up. that's coming up, yeah. And so you like the... Your, uh, is it your impression that Byrne killed off our Magneto so that he could underscore and make alt-magneto a more villainous, stronger, absolutely. Un, unreformable... Dylan with a capital V. Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah. I mean, he, he even threw in the whole, you know, Professor Xavier inserted the other memories into Magneto to try and soften him. And it just strengthened the idea, of, you know, where he thought that he was a survivor of Auschwitz and, uh, you know, all the atrocities. So he undid, he basically undid everything that Claremont did with the character after right. Burn left the series. After Burn left, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Gave the finger to to Claremont. You can, you can put it that way, or I mean, all he really wanted to do was say that Magneto is a villain, back. true and true. He is a yes. bad guy. He is for I mean, he could conceivably be even a rapist. Uh, and and yeah, okay. I mean, you, you give him enough rope. If he didn't have any powers, Chris Hansen probably would have found him at one point. He he's a bad guy in every way, form, or fashion. Um, yeah. Going back to the, the 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 page that we were on, where the the they got in the Sentinel ship and they're leaving, and then they show the bridge of the Shire vessel, which is again another throwback to what Dave Cockrum had done, where he made the bridge look like the bridge of the Enterprise. And I love yep. that they kept that uh, that he kept that in there. Of course, Byrne himself being a big Star Trek fan. Or, yeah, I think Byrne almost would do that. Even and even the page, the the opposite page where you see that's obviously the warp core. Yes, it looks like. And uh, I just when love that powering up. Love that uh, the the Kirby crackle and and just all the Byrne tech in there. But it looks like he he definitely gives it the the Dave Cockrum look too to it. Also, it's got that curved organic uh, look that Dave. You know, Cochran gave everything, even though this is all supposed to be technology and uh, futuristic. Well, the Shire always had that kind of. Yep. I always thought their ships looked like bugs. But. Yeah. Yet they're bird people. Well, why do why do bird people know. have to use bugs <laughs> to fly? But on this the Star Trek reference, I even noticed that that bottom page where you see the bridge and the and the, the captain, mm-hmm. whoever she is, is telling them. He's even drawn her to sit the way Kirk would sit, kind of forward. Yeah. Look at the screen. If, if you go back to the, the the first issue where they showed that, the captain was also sat sitting, even had Kirk's expression on his face. Yeah. Uh, it was just, yeah, complete homage. 
not a rip, an homage. No, no, not no. A swipe, no, no. an homage. There's so much confusion out in the world, uh, in like in Facebook. There's a, a comic swipes group yeah. where people sit there and think everything is a swipe or a rip rather than an homage. I agree. But uh, this is an homage. All right, so they get up the the warp core, everything's going, they do the countdown, and then, whoop, scant moments later, the X-Men leave, and then what happens? Oh, that's right, they, they're already over in the other universe, aren't they? Back in their own, yeah, their they're, own universe. Yeah, they, they pop back. It's, it's very Star Trek. Yeah. It's very last five minutes of the episode. Let's, well, I, you know, I let's like that better than the, the old requisite you know data dump that Byrne usually threw into the books back in the the 80s and 90s where they would do all sorts of stuff and then the last page would be exposition explaining it yeah and well it's interesting i mean not to spoil what's coming up but uh they you know what's hinted here that the x-men have a change of location Mm -hmm. but i won't say what and i think it's interesting what is going on and i haven't read enough to know if that's permanent yeah. or not. Now, this uh, this second last panel where everybody's together, obviously this is before 2020 and people are not social distancing. So just, right. Well, they're yeah, mutants. Yeah. They, don't, they, don't get, they don't get that yeah. stuff. Well, I'm just saying because every, everybody's cram-packed in there. It's like an elephant. It also is, is uh, kind of a nod back to the last page or last panel of X-Men 90. Is it 94 or Giant Size X-Men 1, where Angel says, basically, what are we going to do with... Thir- thir- uh, 13 what? X-Men. 13 X-Men? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get the same sort of vibe. Look how they're all packed in there together. It's like, well, where do we go? The uh, the mansion is, is shattered. So I well, kind of get idea. that sense of they, it, too. Yeah, they want to go somewhere more secure. Not only do they not have a house to live in, they need some place that they can is a little more defensible. Um I'm, where they can play. I'm curious about where they'll have robots. About Iceman and his plans after after this. Why wouldn't he stay with the X Men, given everything that's happened? Well, because you know it, it, all this, him and Angel hanging out, basically because the champions fell through, and he wants to belong to a supergroup. But it, and this yeah. is timeline wise. Where do the new mutants fit into this? Um. Has he started training them yet? No, no right? it, it would be just a little bit later than this. But right now, uh, in in the X Men storyline, I think that Iceman actually would have come back to help uh, the X Men versus Arcade. Uh, that that's I think where they would be somewhere close to getting close to issue one fifty. Yeah, I I think he could have stayed. I mean, obviously, if, if the New Mutants came along later. Which I know Byrne had nothing to do with that, but Pablo, obviously Pablo and Ashley could join that but group. Again, you know, training, the thing is, trainees. Byrne was the one that actually came up with the idea for the New Mutants when they brought in Kitty Pride and they were talking about Dazzler. And Byrne suggested that to Shooter, and Shooter says, no, they'd be the Legion of Substitute Mutants, you know? <laughs> and he says, we're not going to do that. And then, of course, later on they do it. Well, and it, the, the, it seemed like before when you would get in, you know, obviously Kitty was the youngest member to come in, but Dazzler was an adult, and she would come in, and there wasn't a, a whole lot of training involved in that you kind of know how to use your powers. 
but with the new mutants, it seemed, no, let's go back to how we originally had the X-Men, which was a young, all group of young Mm -hmm. teens that don't know how to use their powers. And we're going to have, you know, a a younger level, you know, kind of like the, uh, the Hellfire Club did with their uh, Hellions or whatever group they did. Yeah. Um, And it's just, obviously it's just a way to get a book out and have, you know, you could have younger, you know, you could tell the kind of stories again. I think the the, um, the characters of Ashley and Pablo and, and others would be more interesting after they've shown them having a little bit of training and seeing, you know, where they develop to. And I think Byrne needs right. a, a little bit of a time jump so you don't have to sit there and watch the painstaking process of the training step by step. Or, or have some Pablo-centric issues he he's kind of shown up and has kind of reacted to things he's reacted to the situation yeah. he, we don't know anything about him or his mother really because he's been a we plot know. device rather than exactly exactly yeah pablo the plot device he needs to be pablo like the fully fleshed character looks like franklin richards yep uh, yeah it's that's a good analogy Kirk, because you know they never knew what to do with franklin you know is he powerful is he not you know, does he have does he powers? Does he up? not? Does he grow up? Does he not? You know. Yeah. Um, and I don't. I don't even know where Franklin is these days. Is he a kid still, or is he grown up, or or what? I mean, he's not even well, a trillion. He's not he's even dead in X Men One Forty One. He got fried by the sun. <laughs> so, yeah. I think uh, Dan Slott. Was it last year? He's not. He's not a mutant. He's not considered a yeah. They wanted to they uh, wanted to to take him separate from the mutant world, so right? Now, so he's not a mutant. Yeah, they he's retconned a, him into not being a mutant, even though he has been considered yeah, mutant all along. And that right there, I'm sorry, but that's racist. That is that is how could he not be a mutant? <laughs> exactly. His parents both had powers. He's their offspring, and he has a different set of powers for a different set of uh, powers than his parents. That's racist is by definition. But is that considered a mutant? I mean, is... Uh, yes, he has traits different from his parents. That's the definition well, of a mutant. Well, see, here's, here's the thing. And, and, and just in, in, in that kind of world, you're going to look at someone that is, you know, a known born mutant, like, say, Nightcrawler, and they're going to mm-hmm. treat him with fear. They're going to treat him with anxiety. Mm-hmm. They're going to be worried about him because he's just creepy. Everything about right. him is creepy. And he can do some really, really weird things. That teleport thing. He can go anywhere. He can get in your house. He can go through your stuff. And yeah, here's Franklin Richards, who's the son of the first family of superheroes. And you won't ever think of him as a mutant because he's intrinsically part of the Fantastic Four. And he looks normal, yes. I mean... Well, I think... Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I, I think the distinction they drew later was that you know, originally when, when you saw the X-Men, they talked about how parents were exposed to radiation or something. It was radiation, which is mm-hmm. the answer to everything in the 60s. That's what was causing the mutations to 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 be born. And later it it's was kind of a step like, no, it's a... Right. <laughs> it was born it's later cosmic it's, rays, which is radiation. Right, but then later it's mutants are not necessarily from... Uh, radioactivity it's that they are an evolutionary you know jump so they're homo superior so it's natural so anybody that way it opened the door to anybody could be born well, a mutant what do they think creates the evolutionary changes 
It's adaptation. Well, that could it's be. It's adaptation to the environment. And we right. live in an environment that is being more inundated with radiation, harmful radiation, than before. Our bodies would adapt. And in that world, the bodies would adapt. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, they they were saying before, they were saying Xavier wasn't really that old of a guy uh, when he started the X-Men, maybe in his 20s, saying that his family, or his, he was born of the atomic age. And that the, the, the atomic testing is what turned him into a telepath. A mutant telepath. Well, I think they said that Bobby, Bobby, Bobby's parents worked at a nuclear facility or yeah. something, trying to explain. I think that was Stanley's uh, explanation as to why they're... Everything's got to go back to radiation. Yeah, radiation, but... Uh, so if that's the case, then Franklin Richards would not be considered a mutant because he's ooh, not... Ooh, you just gave me a great idea. Okay, so let's say they're, born, they're mutants born of nuclear, you know, just standard nuclear radiation, like what you see out of a, a nuclear power plant or a nuclear explosion. And then there there are mutants born of gamma radiation, and then mutants born of cosmic radiation, and they're all different. Now, are they doing this yet? Have they done this yet? I'm sure they have. Any of you listeners, please let us know if they have. Gotta get burned at gmail.com. Let us know uh, if if uh, if that's been done, it's, it it would make a, an interesting thing to find division amongst mutants. Oh well, they're gamma mutants, you know. That would be funny. Oh, they're cosmic ray mutants. Yeah, but they never. Interesting. But, but unless you're talking in the X world, they never use the term mutant. It's always uh, they don't even say metahuman. I mean, if that's the case, is Spider-Man a mutant? You know, he was exposed. He to, wasn't born that way. Uh, you got to be born that way. He wasn't you born. Be born that way to be a mutant. Yeah. Well, I think so, they've done gamma as far as green hair for Doc Sampson and the She-Hulk and Hulk. Yeah, but and those are all people that were affected by gamma rays after they've been born and raised and, and are affected and become what they do. Right, right. What I'm talking about so is, is the children that of that. You know, what are they like? What? So if yeah, so if Jennifer Walters has, uh, has a future. child, so, I don't know, whoever she has, say she marries White Wingfoot and they have a baby. Uh-huh. And it's partially, you know, gamma powered. Is that considered a mutant? Yes, because it was born with powers, but it wasn't born. It depends if you're talking about whether it was born because of some factor that caused the powers, or is it an evolutionary jump? So that you're born because evolutionists trying to create this superior race, or is it because like a Spider-Man has a kid, you know? That's not going to be a mutant. That's going to be a, a result of his being altered, and he has a child, and then that gets passed on. So oh, mutants are defined as having traits gross. different from the parent. If you mix Wyatt Wingfoot so, with with She Hulk, and I'm saying pink, yes. not red, but pink skin, <laughs> you're going to get brown. Yeah, yeah. I was just thinking about that too. It's like the brown uh, Hulk, the crap you know, Hulk, sewer Hulk. Didn't they? Uh, didn't in Old Man Logan? Didn't they hint that the, when Banner becomes evil and he has his little horde of kind of redneck uh, hulks? Yeah. Doesn't he hint that he had them with his cousin? 
I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 yeah, they intimated that uh, that that was uh, interfamilial relations. It was inside. And, yeah. My my jokes about the color is not anything to do with real skin color. It's just no, uh, no, the no. idea there. I don't want anyone to take any offense at that because that's not my intention whatsoever. Because thinking about that, that's, that's interesting really discussion yeah, because. Part. Well, because what's more interesting is because the MCU could not use the word mutant because they didn't own right. X-Men. Well, no, it wasn't favorite. that they didn't own them. The The idea was that since, uh, was it Sony? No, Fox uh, held the movie rights and yet wouldn't re- re- you know let them back. They didn't want to give Fox any fuel for any... Uh, well, no, merchandising or, or, or anything right. that could make them money. So they really just stopped producing anything X-related, for the most part. That uh, yeah, they didn't want to. Yeah, they didn't. And uh, I mean, that's why Fantastic Four also stopped because of you know because of, of Fox. And ultimately, you know, Disney bought out Fox, and so now you know Sue Richards is a a Disney princess. But will we get the? I'm just seriously, will we get the word mutant? Will we get adamantium? Well, because you know, in the in the TV shows, they use Inhumans as a as a placeholder yeah. for mutants. And, and, and that nothing's explains. been announced yet. Yeah. Nobody has been. And vibranium cast. would yeah, and vibranium was the substitute for adamantium. Right. So it's interesting if any of that will, uh, uh, if they bring any of that into the MCU or Disney Plus, how any of that will uh, shake out. Should be interesting. Well, does that about do it? No, there's, I, I think there's so. I think we have yeah, pretty good coverage of this. other thing that we've got to deal with here, and it's not a bad thing, email? it's a good thing. Yeah, we've got email. Uh, we've got an email from our good friend, Nigel Spink. Um, and if you're on Facebook in all the requisite uh, burn groups and other art groups, comic groups, you'll see him out there, and he actually publishes some pretty pretty cool artwork. Uh, so look for his, his stuff under the name Nigel Spink. Uh, I believe his real name is Rick Sprint. No, not Rick, but Jeff Jeff Springfield. <laughs> that's right. I could be wrong there, but uh, anyway, not Rick Springfield. He did write to us, um, and he about the most recent podcast of 2022. Dear Brian, Tim, Kirk, David, and John, starting with episode 89, your review on Spider-Man: No Way Home for me. This one is by far the best, good, exciting, action, interesting story, nostalgic familiarity. I can honestly say I enjoyed it. However, let me now admit that apart from Spidey's first appearance in Captain America Civil War, I do not like the Tom Holland version of Spider-Man. Why? Well, here we go. Holland's Spider-Man is even younger than Peter Parker was in Amazing Fantasy XV. And wasn't Peter supposed to be a bit of a science whiz kid? I don't see that too much. Okay, I gotta stop right there. Now, as far as Peter being a whiz kid, you know, they show him on on the the, the academic decathlon that he was the the top player, even though he didn't compete because he kept letting Spider-Man's affairs interfere. And then you even saw him in class trying to mix up web fluid. This guy made his own web fluid. In the Amazing Spider-Man movies, uh, what's-his-name actually found the formula from his father's notes, if I, if I remember right. And, of course, obviously the yeah. Tobey Maguire ones, <clears throat> he was eking it out yeah, of his wrists. <laughs> yeah. so, well, I, I think to answer kind of 
Nigel's question or comment, I think, is they when when you first see that scene, which is I think the teaser where Stark goes into uh, Peter's bedroom mm-hmm. and he's kind of showing him, he kind of basically telling him, "Hey, I know you're Spider-Man," and he's talking about the web shooters and how he had developed and how you know the tensile strength and all that, showing, "Hey, Peter's a pretty smart guy." But then all that gets so overshadowed by the fact that he gets the Stark suit and all this Stark tech. Yeah. So right. he doesn't need to kind of come up with his own But when devices. In, in Far From Home at the end, uh, you see him in the jet making the new suit. Foggy sees him and sees this is the exact same kind of genius that Tony had. That's why he picked Peter to be his, I don't know if you want to call him heir apparent or whatever. Protégé. Protégé. That's why he gave him the glasses in the first place. Is because he sees that Peter is becoming what he already is. That Peter is a genius and you know beyond the, the, the regular earthly genius. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I say he is a bit of a science whiz kid. That's just the point where I'll take that. But I understand that they did not highlight it enough. They just made it matter of fact. Right. Continuing on in, in, in his uh, uh, email, I don't see that too much. Secondly, I never liked Stark being behind the setup. What with the high-tech suits and fancy gimmicks, this is not my Spider-Man. I can see that. I understand that. Yeah, I agree The supporting there. cast leave a lot to be desired. We have MJ, only she's not Mary Jane Watson. Aunt May, come on. She's more like Peter's older sister. Ned Leeds, just a school friend who already knows Peter Spider-Man. Far too soon for that. If he's not going to be a journalist, why do they even have to use the name? And you just can't have a Spider-Man film without J. Jonah Jameson, yet he only appeared at the end of Far From Home. I could go on with this, get off my lawn rant. <laughs> so whilst this film was the best of this trilogy, for me, I think it's mainly due to the nostalgic element. The original trilogy still remains the best with Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. And to think I didn't like his version of Peter Parker to begin with, LOL. Now, I, I'll say that um, I, I, I'm kind of where you are in that Tobey Maguire has been, for most part, my favorite Spider-Man, but actually more, more of the Peter Parker. His Spider-Man was not as quippy as I would like to have seen. Uh, Andrew Garfield was a little bit quippy, but he always sounded like he was... You know, you didn't get the Spider-Man voice, I guess. He didn't have what I thought was a Spider-Man voice. Uh, and here we are with Tom Holland, who's got a lot, but he's not as quippy as I'd like to see him be. He's got the voice that goes out there, and I love the things like, hey, you know, did you guys ever see that really, really old movie, this? And those references were always kind of fun. But uh, he didn't actually become the Spider-Man I know until the very end of No Way Home. And that's you know that's where we're left off. It's almost like the the James Bond movie Casino Royale, where Daniel Craig plays James Bond, but he is not the true 007 James Bond until the very last scene of Casino Royale. He hadn't become that yet. And while Peter right. Parker's your amazing Spider-Man, he doesn't become the Spider-Man that we know until basically the end of this this one. He just won't have Aunt May anymore. Right. And if I spoiled that for anybody, I'm sorry. You should have been one of the many millions of people that went and saw the movie. <laughs> well, right. They, they they kind of do his origin twice. They do it where you don't. We never see. We never see Aunt, uh, Uncle Ben and at all. They they kind of and... sidestep that, so you don't know if that happened. You just know that Ben is gone. That he was there because there yeah. was initials on the uh, the luggage. 
Yeah. So he, so, so the, the, the kind of trauma and sadness that he gets from originally Uncle Ben dying, we get that from Aunt right. May. So that right. to the point. Right. But at the end of the film, he's he's Spider Man. He's on his own. He's got his own. The suit's too the suit's too shiny. But he's got his own suit. Uh, he's not. You know, I, I again didn't. I agree with Nigel. I don't like the. I kind of don't mind Tony being a mentor, but it he it became a crutch that he was relying so much on Stark Stark Tech. Yeah with the golden spider suit and all the other stuff. And Sp- Peter is better. He's good in groups for short periods, but to me, Peter's a loner. He does his thing on his own and he relies on his own wits and his own it's, devices. It's funny because um, my son had, of course, one of the latest smartphones as, as we all did. And uh, he, he broke it. And so he had to wait a while we made him wait a while, and so we just gave him the bare flip phone, flip phone to use until you know he was able to get a replacement phone. And he acted just like Peter did. <laughs> I mean, he didn't say without that smartphone, I'm nothing. But he's just like, this is horrible. I can't stand life in like this. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. Fine. <laughs> I'm waiting for the story where. Uh... Where they reveal Tony Stark has done time travel and is revealed to be, in fact, Peter Parker's father. Oh, don't even, don't uh, even. Please Mm-mm. don't, don't, Mm-mm. don't. No, 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 no. I, I did, I, I did read article and it was all, it was, it was just, it was, it was all speculation. But apparently, <clears throat> rumor has it that Tom Cruise is in talks to join <clears throat> the MCU. I think and he's going to be in the. The multiverse of madness, as 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 uh, prime evil Tony Stark, Tony Stark Prime or Tony Stark, yeah, yeah. The, the evil Tony superior Stark, superior Iron Man, I think was a and that's that's got to be um, and stunt casting at its finest. But he was intended oh, at one point to be to be yeah, Iron Man, yeah. yeah. I think that's why they're doing it. And I just I I hope it's a one off in the movie and it doesn't go anywhere else from there. I just that would be cool. All right. Well, wait a minute. I don't think it, Cruz is going to get stereotyped into that type of a role. He's got too many other well, irons in the fire. Oh, he, and, yeah, he's not worried about again, that. He's, he's, he just wants to join the he's fun. He's sixty years old now, or, or very right, thank close you. to sixty. Yeah, he can't keep that up forever. That's a lot of uh, airbrushing out his abs. Yeah. yeah. Um, Let's go. But isn't what? To, well, real quick, isn't Superior Spider-Man Tony Stark's father? Anthony Stark? No, Superior Spider-Man was Doctor Octopus. Was well, I, taking oh, over Peter's I'm mind. Superior Spider-Man. Uh, Superior Iron. I don't know. Sorry, I, I hadn't read any of the I, books to say that. I just heard that. Okay, that's what Cruz was going to be doing. Moving on back to, <laughs> back to Nigel's letter, uh, he moves on to episode ninety, where we uh, talk about the art of John Byrne. What can I say that's not already been said? Except I wish my copy was in better condition. I bought it back in 1980 and have enjoyed reading it and looking through it many times since then, including following along with you guys as you discuss the interviews and great artwork. I also have the Fantagraphics focus on John Byrne from about the mid-80s. This is a similar type of publication with equally fabulous artwork and has more articles and interviews, including Raj 2000 and some of his work for uh, other companies. On Coffee and Comics, Quintessential Byrne Image... There is so much great artwork from Byrne that it is really difficult just to come up with one. 
I went with the cover to Captain America 254, as that always stands out for me when thinking of Burns' artwork. But so do so many others, so many more. Which one was the, the cover of 254? 255 was was the uh, origin, so that had Adolf Hitler. But 254 was that the election one? Or it, no, I thought 250 was the election. And see, now I got to go pull it up. So vamp for a moment while I pull this now, up. 254, I think, is is Hyde coming out of the fog. Oh, and, and Cap standing there, uh, or was it him on the boat? Because I thought the whole boat was actually before was after I'd. No, two fifty four is Baron Blood. To battle oh, Baron okay. Blood, so yeah, I yeah that's. I can see that we covered that that yeah, issue. We did. Have we? we did. Yeah. So why didn't yeah. I remember it that that quickly? I'm getting old. I thought I might have been Baron Blood. I just couldn't okay, remember. Finally, episode ninety one, covering JLA one ninety two through one ninety three. I have never actually seen these two issues. But I did own the following four issues, 194 through 197, which I bought uh, because the artwork was Perez. On the subject of your George Perez tribute podcast, I would strongly suggest that you cover Marvel 2-in-1's Pegasus Project from 153 through 158. Hmm. That's a good idea. As you plan to alternate podcasts between Byrne and Perez, you can cover issues 153 through 155 in a Byrne episode as he drew these three, and then the following podcast complete the story with issues 156 through 158 drawn by Perez. I can see it now. Well, hear it anyway. In fact, I would love to cover this with you guys, if that is possible. See what we did there? We got another one. (laughs) (laughs) Other Perez work I would recommend include the New Teen Titans, Avengers Volume 1, Avengers Volume 3, especially Ultron Unlimited, and the Nefaria Protocols, Wonder Woman, FF, and JLA Avengers. Looking forward to the coming Burn Perez year on Third Degree. Nigel Spink. I just want to say thank you for that that email. And, nice letter. And, uh, what you've suggested we're definitely going to consider and uh, let you know what we, what we come up with. Because uh, I think that's a great idea myself. But uh, that, that's going to take a lot of, uh, a lot of prep. What do you, you guys have any anything else to say on that? Or anything else, for that matter. I think it's a great idea. I like no, it. Yeah, it's, it's getting us a lot of food for thought. I'm going to have to bring another wolf into the fold, I guess. <laughs> All righty. Well, do you guys have anything else uh, to discuss before we uh, let everyone go to their the rest of their daily musings? Nope. I think I'm good. I think we've done a good job of covering these two. It's a, it's a shame John couldn't join us, but Kirk uh, was... Uh, pinch hitter and did a great job so yeah the last thing that i want to bring up here before we go is um i i just want to uh point everybody to a few things uh, i've mentioned some of this in the past as being you know some of my favorite podcasts out there but i know that a lot of you listen to uh, of course the the back to the bins um, is it Jaws, which are great podcasts, but I think that not enough of you are listening to The Palace of Glittering Delights. This is a podcast by Andrew Leyland, and he pretty much covers whatever strikes his whimsy. He's been do he has done over the course of uh, his his show, uh, like an index show on the amazing Spider-Man, and he's gone all the way from the Ditko era through the Romita Romita era. And I think he skipped ahead to the Michelini McFarlane era, and but he's right. been going around and, and hitting a lot of these 
that are just really, really cool. He's actually, I think, right now in the Len Wein era, which uh, his latest episode of Palace Glittering Delight covered uh, 157 through 160 or somewhere in that area. But Andrew's uh, preparation and, and prose are just beyond compare. And the way he presents the information is is truly wonderful. If you haven't had a chance to listen to this or his previous podcast with his son, uh, Hey Kids Comics, or the Fantastic Cast where he and, is it Jeff? I forget the guy's name. Uh, uh, actually, it was another British fellow, I forget. Uh, cover the Fantastic Four from the beginning to... Uh, I think they've gotten up to the burn era. I don't think they've gotten into that yet, and they've kind of pod faded a little no, bit. they stopped just short yeah, of it. Yeah, but, I mean, any show that he's on is worth a listen to. But right now, Palace of the Glittering Delights, uh, it looks like episode 202 was dropped uh, just a couple days ago. And just sit back and listen to Andrew's show, because he tells you how it is in a very entertaining way. And uh, I can't get enough of his, of his stuff. Uh, he and I are having a little discussions right now about James Bond in the background because I've been joining uh, Paul Spataro and others on Is It Jaws for their discussion on uh, James Bond movies starting with The Living Daylights and uh, trying to get a discussion going on about the Mike Grell book Permission to Die so hopefully something will come of that but check out Andrew, check out Palace of Glittering Delights it is truly in my opinion one of the finest shows put out there right now Anybody else got anything they want to hawk? Well, I didn't yeah. get my check from Andy, so I'm not going to praise him. So, uh, <laughs> no, no. Actually, uh, Andy does put out a, a wonderful, a wonderful show. Um, very, it's very informative, but it's very uh, ex- uh, accessible yes. to anybody. Even if you don't know anything about the subject, he's going to give you that background, and he tells it. And maybe it's it's that wonderful British voice of his, but he just tells it in a way that. Um, makes it, everything interesting. Yes, and Andrew's a good friend too. Uh, we've we've known him ever since we hopped onto the network here, uh, nearly seven years ago. Wow, seven, seven years, years, yeah, dang. And uh, Andrew, you know, I know you've met Andrew. I haven't met him face to face yet, and uh, but I I truly feel like he's he's a good friend of mine. Uh, in 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 all of our dealings and such. I have something else that I'd like to, to well, not hawk, but to mention, yeah. promote. Mm-hmm. Uh, the um, the Prophets gang, listen to the Prophets that went through the entire sequence of, of uh, Deep Space yes. Nine, uh, decided that they, they weren't done, that they enjoyed each other's company enough, that they wanted to do more. So they decided to do the 22 episodes of animated Star Trek, which they are calling Toon Trek, and it comes out about once every two yeah. weeks. So far, they've gone through about 12 episodes, and they're not sterling episodes. Uh, you know, the, the yeah, show the is what it is. It was cartoon is not sterling, but their show is cartoon. great. Yeah, the show is, is just a stitch. The ensemble guys playing off from each other, it's just funnier than that's hell. Because Pataro, um, Dr. It, Bill, and Andrew, right? And then J. David Weeder from time to time gets in there, too. And... Uh, uh, now there's there's another guy who I can't think of, but you know there's Pascarella, like five right? or so guys. It, yeah. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Uh, they, you know they just play off each other wonderfully. It's funny. It's irreverent. 
it usually runs about 45 to 52 minutes per per uh, podcast. Um, very accessible. The material they know is not stellar, but they find things to talk about. The you know to highlight the good and also to underscore some of the bad. Um, but I, it's a shame that we know it's only going to go another ten episodes. They'll find something else. And then they run They'll out. They'll find something else. They'll to find do. something. Yeah. Oh, I hope I, so. I hope. I so. threw my uh, I threw my hat in the ring, and nothing to finally come of it. But uh, I think on their last the last episode for DS Nine, they had Gardner on, and somebody mentioned doing Enterprise, and I think yeah. I I I um, I him and said, hey, if you do Enterprise. Show I'd love to you know, be on I, because I I've not watched show. Enterprise all the way through. I got lost somewhere in the first season. I understand the third and fourth season are just some fine fine trek, and I think that I'm going to use your show if if they do that as my springboard to getting back and watching that. Well, I, I'm not saying I'm gonna be on that show. I'm just saying I just said, oh, hey, if you so, do man. it, I'd be happy to be. I'd be happy to be. <laughs> But no, nobody's knocking down my door asking me to come on their podcast. So, well, if they do as good a job as they did on uh, Deep Space Nine coverage, and they want to do Enterprise from stem to stern, I've not seen the whole series either. But I continue to hear good things and good echoes about it, and I would love to see their expertise on that series uh, if we could convince them. But uh, all we've got, as far as I know, right now, except for their individual. Solo efforts is uh, Toon Trek. They'll do, they'll do something. I think if, they won't. They won't let go of that. I'm wondering trek. if they may do a new show based, you know, to to cover Strange New Worlds, or if they'll add that coverage. Oh, they were talking about. Uh, they could. I, I'd be they were talking about back and do decks. TOS. They were talking about doing Lower Decks. Isn't that the name the of it? Animated series. The other, That's the animated one. Yeah, they're talking about maybe doing that, but I don't know if that was just a one-off, or if they are seriously entertaining. Uh, doing that, but, but uh, see, I, that's where it's I, I think that Strange New Worlds has the potential to be. I mean, it it it's got all the ingredients there to make true great Star Trek. Because Discovery has seemed to, you know, it's gone off into a different area, and it's unfamiliar. And I think Trek fans are having a hard time with that. And also, everybody seems to be complaining that you know Burnham cries too much. You know. Um, Everybody cries too much on that yeah. show. And too much crying, too much hugging. Yeah, they they seem to do too much uh, Trek, uh, non Trek type stuff. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm so pumped for Stranger Worlds. I can't wait for that to start. Moon Knight comes out this week. Uh, yeah, Wednesday. Is it Wednesday? Wednesday, yeah. I think. And uh, so I'm looking forward to that. I know my son is looking forward to that, and Beth is looking forward to this. So. We'll uh, we'll probably get on the interwebs and make our thoughts known once uh, once that does show up. But uh, I don't know we'd record anything, but you never know. We got anything else, or are we good to go? No, I think we're, we're good, good to go. Um, well, take us out. Yeah, or I'll, I'll take, take us, us out here. Uh, you know, again, oh, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. We want your feedback. We want to know what you guys think, what you like, what you don't like, what you want us to do. Maybe even what you don't want us to do. But you can email us at gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, formerly iTunes. We've got a Facebook group, Third Degree Burn, and we've got more people joining 
every day, and the, the group is really starting to uh, explode with it's getting pretty membership. Big. Um, but that is partially because the way Facebook has made the groups, uh, making them all public. Um, and so we're having to take a hard look at every member that comes in to decide, is this a real person or is this just a, a bot uh, profile that they're going to spam us with? So, you know, we're, we're trying to be careful on that. Uh, if you're a new listener and you're wondering why your membership hasn't been uh, approved yet, we're having to be careful about what we accept in. But that being said, you don't have to be a member to come in and make a comment about any one episode or uh, anything just in general. If you want to post something, your thoughts or opinions on something, just uh, you know, abide by the uh, group rules and everything will be okay. Anything else, guys? Did I miss anything? No. no. Uh, sure. our, well, I would say our offer still stands. If you leave us a five-star review, you can uh, force us to cover a book. As long as it's a John Byrne book. Yes. I mean, even but if you just you did the letter, we'll cover it. Wait, is there any any book? Well, right? I don't know if that qualifies, but if he's writer, artist, anchor, uh, we, anchor, we did we did one yeah, of those with of the that. champions. Yeah. Well, so if uh, you, know, you 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 give us five stars, you can pick a book, even if you've already covered it. Yep. We will. So that's a five star review we'll on uh, Apple Podcast for Apple iTunes. iTunes. Yeah. Apple, yeah. And uh, yeah, because we've got f- what five reviews on there. We definitely need more. The more reviews we get, the more visibility. That, uh, that that we get. More people can see our podcast and know that it's out there if they weren't familiar with it in the first place. Hmm. Well, with all that being said, we really we, we appreciate you hanging out with us all this time. Uh, we Of course, uh, John Hyatt uh, had to skip out because uh, he had other commitments going on. Unfortunately, David wasn't able to join us this week, but we'll get him back soon. Uh, and along with this show, we probably will have a Cocktails and Comics uh, sometime coming up in the next uh, few weeks. Uh, we don't have next episode planned out, but I'm assuming it will probably be either a standard burn story or a George Paris story. It just depends on what the guys come up with. For Third Degree Burn, I'm Brian Hughes. That's Tim Elliott. Say goodnight, Tim. Good night. And that's Kurt Greenfield. Say goodbye, Kurt. Good night. Adios, sayonara, and Julan True. Did you catch that one, the Julan True? Do you know what that is? I got that one. I did catch I, that. It's wrong. I, I don't remember what it is, but it's I caught it. It's a Romulan statement, kind of like yeah, it's Romulan it's like, greeting. Yeah. Yes, yes. But you can also okay. use like it when goodbye too, like aloha. You can say that for hello or goodbye. I think I could. Be. I don't. I thought it was cool. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. 
Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.